So it's the uh, Chance of Gaming podcast, episode 67, which I assume is correct because it's written here, and I just read whatever there is on the script. Uh, I'm Adam, and with me always is Richard and Roy. Hey, everyone. This is Rich coming from sunny St. Louis, Missouri. Not so sunny, but I can dream. Uh, this is Roy coming from West Michigan, um, near Grand Rapids, on the lake. This is our post-apocalyptic, um, uh, I guess it would be post-apocalyptic snowstorm episode. Maybe for you. For, for Roy and I, it was like, oh, I know, it, it was Tuesday <laughs> for you, I know. But um, but yeah, it, it was funny. It's like everything you see like was going on in Texas was going on like over here. It, it was, except, yeah, we, yeah. I think by and large, most of the Mississippi pop population stayed inside the, well, and your my brother electric grid is a, didn't go to hell that's true yeah. the what i said your electric grid didn't go to hell no there were problems oh was there but right. uh, for, as far as i know for the very first time this is the first time in my personal life i think it's the first time in state history that we had rolling blackouts because, uh, uh-huh. you know, once again, much like snow, that's just something I've seen in a movie or read about in a book. You know, <laughs> it, it doesn't actually happen. And so, you know, the way they did it here, it was, uh, well, like, we got the text that were saying like, hey, you, you know, you guys need to conserve or we're going to have to do it. And I know other parts of the state actually did it. They would get like a text saying, starting at this time, you will lose power for X amount of hours. So be prepared. So mm-hmm. that was just, yeah, just pretty be crazy. Prepared. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> um, my uh, street probably uh, had two or three uh, inches of solid ice. And so that's the big thing for us, you know. That's we, worse. Well, yeah. I mean, solid ice will shut anybody down. You know, really. we can't drive in, you know, the rain, and so we're, <laughs> we're we have no experience with snow, and so to do this, we're like everything is just frozen. It was interesting. They would have to shut down the interstate at times to bring in uh, specialized tow trucks to pull the 18 wheelers off that had like jackknifed or whatever. And were just blocking oh, yeah. the entire interstate. Those giant heavy duty ones. Yeah. I mean, basically it was just dudes running around, uh, you know, in their big trucks, you know, I've exactly. Got, I've because got the they got for four wheel drive. They can do whatever they want. <laughs> you know, well, was, you know, there was that video from Texas of the guy backing out of his driveway and he was kind of on a slant and he just, he packs out of his driveway and then he just goes sideways down the street. I had a couple of friends that, like, woke up in the morning at a certain point in this, and their vehicle had slid down the driveway, you nice. know, from, from where, where it was parked. It, it just, I mean, I assume it just slowly did over time, but it was at the end of their driveway, you know, that was on a hill. So just kind of, you know, interesting. And, again, you get this peek into human being psyche and, like, preparedness and you know all this stuff because when i actually made it out to the grocery store the shelves were just empty you know just somebody took a picture of like the chip aisle in um kroger and the only thing that was there were those uh takey fuego chips 
<laughs> apparently, you know, people were like, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to starve to death before I, you know, burn a hole in my stomach. So, and they just left those. So it was just, well, just interesting, you know. I Real- work from home full time anyway, and my home office and gaming room is up on the second floor. So I had a beautiful view of the whole thing. I didn't, I, I have no complaints at all. Yeah, they they kept us home for the whole thing because it became a thing of like, I don't know how I could get to work. You know, I just have a regular car with regular tires, (laughs) you know, um, the interstate's closed. And I was trying to think of alternate ways. And this other road that leads to work is nothing but hills. And I'm like, I can't climb those, you know, did they expect me to walk? You know, I'm just going to say no, I, I can't make it. So just. It was really interesting, and, uh, you know, Texas, yeah, got it really bad with their privatized electric grid, and they're facing, you know, people with $40,000 of electric bills and whatnot, so none of that over here, but, you know, anyway. So we're going to spend the rest of the show breaking down the Texas power grid, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll go over some various economic alternatives that we can implement over the next few years. Yeah, you know chance of gaming the uh, electric power edition. <laughs> oh, okay. I almost, I posted this on Twitter and then thought maybe it was in poor taste and deleted it. But I'll say it here is like, why does it, now would be a great time for somebody to kickstart uh, Power Grid Texas edition. Yeah, I was just uh, thinking about the Power Grid game. Yeah. Except, you know, you would have to put it in there and put, you know, some corruption. As a, do you choose to winterize? No, and then you roll on the table. And, yeah. <laughs> How many people die? <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I'm, I'm sure that you could like kind of hack a, uh, a scenario together for that, maybe. Oh, yeah, uh, for sure. But uh, And, of course, it goes to, we, we talk about that here a good bit. You can gamify anything, anything and everything you can gamify. And I'm always fascinated by people that come up with, you know, a, an original idea that they turn into a game. Like, oh, mm-hmm. I never thought about that, about, you know, yeah, okay, that could be a board game or whatever, yeah. yeah. If it's Holly. really weird, just pitch it to Hollenspiel. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, if you got all your stuff together, they'll probably probably publish it, you know, this whole thing. Uh, so I did get a chance to watch some TV um, while I was locked in, and I swear... Yeah. You got, like, five minutes left in the episode, and they tell you that your power's about to go out. You're like, no, come on! Uh, oh. That would be funny. Uh, then I'd have, to be on, I'd have to be on my phone or something to <laughs> at least figure out how it ended or whatever. Roy, was it you that told me about For All Mankind? I don't know. I might have. I think I, I might have mentioned it on Twitter. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. So but, do you, uh, you, you watch it? You put it on... I've, I've seen two episodes thus far. Of, I haven't gotten into the second season. But I kind of know the the ins and outs of the second season. But you put it on here, so you start talking about well, it. And I'll jump in. I got a um, I got a new uh, an iPad for Christmas, mm-hmm. and they kept bugging me with this email that said, "Hey, you get a free year of Apple TV, a free year." And I'm like, well, "What do you have? You know, what do I care about this?" Yeah. And so, I'm, and they're finally like, "This is your last day. It's a, it's a whole year free." And I'm like, "Okay, you know." Just in case yeah. they come out with something. My wife cool. got a new computer, and it was, we kind of fell into the same thing. I had so well. I would say I had previously pirated C. Um, you know the the, okay. re, the really weird post-apocalyptic TV series with Aquaman, and uh, yep. it, I thought it was really good. And oh yeah, the other one with the uh, the guy from Mac, uh, the guy who plays Mac on It's Always Sunny. Um, 
whatever it is, it's it's it, he has an MMO company, a video game company that makes some big MMO video game. It, mm-hmm. it, it's a comedy. I can't think of the name of it. I'll post it in the show notes. And it's hysterical. I loved it. But again, I pirated that. So and that's on Apple TV also. Yes, yes, it is. Okay. And uh, and so I was like, well, based on those two, you know, I'll you know I'll punch this in. I'll get the free trial and whatever. And so I started watching um, Servant from M Night Shyamalan Ding Dong, and um, <laughs> it's really good, really really good. But it's also one that you have to pay attention to. So I have to like wait until I can do that. Otherwise, I can pretty much watch anything while I'm doing something else, working or whatever. But yeah. Uh, so I kept seeing For All Mankind, and I'm like, well, and, I, and it was done by um, the producer oh, is uh, from yeah, Ronald, Galactica. Ronald Moore. Yeah, and I'm uh-huh. like, oh, okay, so maybe this is good. I kind of look at it. And I'm like, well, I'm like, I, I'm like, I utterly abhor alternate history, but I'm a big fan of like Cold War stuff. So mm-hmm. let me check this out. And I think what sold me was um, season two came out. And on the poster of it is a bunch of astronauts standing on the moon holding M16s. And I'm like, <laughs> all right, you got my attention. What yeah. is this? And so uh, I started watching it, and uh, yeah, I really dig it. It's, so um, what is the premise of For All Mankind? It's just Adam. an alternate history of our space race. Like kind of if we did things, not only the, if, not only if we doing doing things different, but hey, let's do things the right way, you know, less, less treat black people better, less treat women Mm -hmm. better, you know, so it's this alternate history NASA where you have, uh, female astronauts, black astronauts, you know, and this stuff, and it all centered around, like, it's also like, what if we just dumped a whole bunch of money into NASA? And uh, do this this space race thing really gets out of control. What kicks it off is the alternate history of the Soviets beat us to the moon. So that's what starts it, and Nixon gets mad, and you know, and this yeah. is just the space race times a hundred. And so, like now, like where I'm at is because the Soviets keep beating them in different stuff. The whole reason why there are women astronauts is because the Soviets put the first woman in space, the first woman on the moon. And, you know, they're like, oh, these daggum Soviets are beating us at everything. And, uh, like, well, we're going to have the first moon base. And so that's where I'm at now is they're do- – I'm still in just season one, and they're trying to yeah. get this moon base thing on. So I've seen uh, episode two of season one. And uh, I guess what I find fascinating about it is that all the little – touches that they, that they talk about so in the in the first episode they um okay so if you know your your actual history you know that when armstrong and company landed on the moon Supposedly. they came in kind of hot oh yeah allegedly <laughs> they came in kind of hot and and armstrong was getting real low on fuel and i think that he only had like 20 or some odd seconds left of fuel to find a suitable landing spot because where they were planning on landing was full of boulders. So that's the actual history is that he almost ran out of fuel. So, you know, in this alternate history, well, so what's going to happen here? So for me, that first episode was a very nail biting thing. Like, are they really going to do this? Um, and so I, yeah, I'm not going to spoil the, the, you know, what happens there, but, there's a lot of cool scenes, and in, front, in, in the first episode, there's a scene with Ted Kennedy, 
so they took a uh, you know they took file footage and they kind of altered it a little bit um, and so one little thing I thought was really kind of interesting is he talked about so Tent Kennedy was talking about we're going to have these inquiries into why why we lost essentially and he talks about he says well my my uh, uh, family vacation to Chappaquiddick we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna uh, he canceled that <laughs> oh yeah so I caught that if you yeah. I, I love those little nods like that. So, like, the, the Chappaquiddick incident that, that Kennedy was involved in never happened. So these these little – you have the one ripple at the, at the, in the pond kind of spreads out and, and changes history going forward. I just – I don't know. That could I, lead I, to I him becoming kind of president. Stuff. Right, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I, was fa- I was fascinated by that. And I guess maybe we'll see kind of, like, more of it of things that kind of like what if what if this happened you know and mm-hmm. now what you mentioned about them that doing that hard landing it is funny that you know we know those guys as the first you know they were the first people on the moon so they're heroes and blah 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 and all this but in the show they give them shit over that landing like the entire show they're like you know it's like oh i'm gonna land better than buzz did like well that isn't hard <laughs> to do you know and so yeah yeah it's funny but and, uh, it, there's a, there's another I think a pretty neat scene where um, it's after the Soviets have landed and you know they're kind of having this debrief and and the like and so all the people that you know from the from the uh, from the space race like Gene Kranz and Deke Slayton and and Neil Armstrong and all these all these guys are there, um, but so Deke Slayton is kind of uh, given his little speech about. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna push forward from this, um, you know. But that's a thing for for Monday. So, um, you know, have have crying your beer and all that kind of stuff over the weekend. Then then come Monday we're back at it. And so they're they're starting to leave, and the one astronaut says to the other, "Last one to the bar buys." And so then all these guys. You know, all these astronauts have their own. This guy has a blue Corvette. This guy has a silver Corvette, and they all go and and jump into the cars and they race. They're racing each other to the bar through traffic, which I thought was kind of a pretty cool scene of all these of all these shiny uh, Corvettes lined up against the curb, and then they all run out and away they go. And see, so. I I know uh, I was glad to see that because I know that um, Chevrolet gave them those when the space race oh, okay. was happening. They're like, hmm, we really want to associate this, you know, adventure, somebody like, you know, on a rocket, whatever, with our brand. So every one of these astronauts gets gets a new Corvette. So, you know, you'll see them driving oh, okay. around town. You'll see them in pictures and stuff like that. Wow, you know, astronauts are so cool. What do they drive? They drive Corvettes. Mm. So I thought that was cool. Yeah. And I, you know, I like the kind of the groovy retro early '70s kind of kind of vibe to all of it. Um, so I guess season two is a jump ahead to ten, ten years ahead to the era of the shuttle. So I, we're, you know, I think the the main character Ed, I think, is gonna keep on going, but we may shed some other uh, some other cast members in season two. Now you mentioned Deke Slayton. Uh, the the actor that plays him, I really like. Um, I know him from a couple of different things. I couldn't tell you who he is, but I always thought he was a good actor that doesn't get a lot of roles. Uh, mm-hmm. But but you know he's really good in this. 
And uh, like the dude that plays, uh, you mentioned Ed the, as the main character. He, wasn't he in um, Suicide Squad? I, I didn't see it. You ever seen it? Ah, it's not bad. No. I mean, it's Suicide Squad to me is worth it for Will Smith alone. It's Will Smith. Will Smith is a Deadshot. Yep. In it, and uh, he's fantastic. And it just, he makes that movie. You know, I know everybody else was like, oh, you know, it's Jared Leto or whoever is the Joker and, you know, blah, 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 is Harley Quinn. I'm like, ah, forget that. No, no, no. Will Smith makes hmm. that movie. And uh, it's fantastic. So Ed is the captain of Apollo 11. So in your actual history, that was the, um, the ship that went up and orbited the moon but didn't land. So this guy keeps throughout the series keeps second guessing himself like i could have done it i could have been there first um but i didn't do it because that's what i was told to do i, t I was i was forbidden from landing i could have overridden that and landed but you know i'm 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 a uh, a good rule follower and i decided not to so he keeps beating himself up over um his uh decision well, I'll also say they go really far with um, throwing uh, Von Brown under the bus. Like, mm -hmm. the, 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 absolute the, in all capital letters, premier Nazi uh, rocket scientist that we took after World War II. And we just, we, they throw him under the bus in the show. Um, it's based on a actual you know, testimony and all this stuff that happened, but they just decided, like, eh, what can we do? we got to beat the Russians. But in the show, it, it comes down to, you know, you knew what was going on at these camps. You knew, the, you know, the people that were, how could you not know? And so he gets dumped out of the program. You know, he ran yeah. NASA and actually retired from NASA, like, in the 90s. But uh, in the show, they... They get rid of him like that, and so it becomes a less cautious NASA because they blamed him for what's his name not landing on the moon because mm -hmm. it was this attitude of safety that they had. So, so now you're making me wonder if uh, Margot is a she's a um, what is she an electrical engineer? Yeah, I, I think know, so. She, yep. and, and she's kind of a protege of, of uh, Werner von yep. Braun. She is, and I don't know if is she a historical figure. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I don't I know. Look I, into that and find that, out. That does remind me, uh, one of the people that become astronauts uh, is one of the quote-unquote hidden figures from the movie. The, oh, okay, uh, yeah. The, the black ladies that were computers, quote-unquote, they basically just did the math mm -hmm. or, or as backup or whatever, and uh, yeah, they turned her into an astronaut. So. Yeah, so anyway, For All Mankind is... Pretty interesting show, I think. You know, I will say to in order to you know kind of stay on topic uh, with it, are there any good like space race games, board games? Yes, there's one that came out and I, there's I a, there's, there's a few. There's one that I have. Um, I just got it a couple months ago as a gift, and I haven't been played it yet. Called Leaving Earth. Um, that's a I've heard really good things about it, and then. Uh, there's one called like Project Moon or something like that. There's one that's endorsed by NASA, I think, isn't there? Mm, I don't know. Um, I cannot remember what the name of it is. Leaving Earth is on my short list of games to play, though. Oh. In fact, I was going to try to get to it this weekend and didn't get to it. Um, but 
Uh, yeah, I'll let you know once I play that how that one goes. Here we go. Uh, Apollo, a collaborative game inspired by NASA moon missions. Okay. Uh, let's see here. And also, isn't it, um, what is the big not war game that's super popular? Twilight Struggle. It has it features the space race as a as a victory track, right? Um, it's not a victory track. It's like an enhancement track. When okay. you, if you're higher on the space race, you get certain bonuses in game. Ah, okay. Like you get to you get to see the other guy's card before you play it sometimes, and there's things you can do. Okay. All right, but yeah, I know, I know that was you know Cold War and all that stuff. Yeah. I fit in. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, I dig that show. I, I I guess I came in with low expectations though, and still, yeah, I want to see how the whole moon base thing shakes out. What are everybody's got? It, because the whole thing also is in the middle of it. There, it's the you know the military is trying to you know stick their nose in it. They're like, okay, okay, you you know, y'all hurry up and set up this moon base so we can stock it full of soldiers or whatever. You know, so I'm curious to see how that plays out. You know, do we have armed conflict on the moon? What's it like? I don't know. We'll see. Well, and being from the creative mind of Battlestar Galactica, I mean, it's, um, I can imagine that it's going to get maybe a little bit, quote unquote, spacier. Maybe. I hope so. Oh. I'm very, very curious to see the sh- uh, the shuttle, you know, or, um, error. It's going to have so. going to have weapon mounts. Yes. <laughs> yeah, missiles and stuff. And then you know, it just it just it just fades into the expanse, and then there you go. So, uh, you also, did we talk about Dan? Oh, uh, we might have. I don't know. We talked about it last time before we started uh, recording. So, there's a there's a YouTube channel, this guy by the name of Dan Shikaz, and he is a Russian guy. He lives near the Black Sea, and he, um, is, he wants to learn English. So he, him and his wife, he says, I don't have anybody to, to learn and practice English with, so I'm going to practice it with you with the Internet, essentially. So this guy, he just kind of meanders around town, and he, he talks about you know life in Russia. He goes to the supermarket, and, and uh, so you kind of get a little slice of life of uh, you know living in Russia. Um, and, you know, they're, it's a charming couple. And, um, so anyway, Dan Shikaz, S-H-E-E-K-O-Z. So is and he, everything's is really a, cheap there. Is he a small-town boy living in a Ural world, maybe? <laughs> huh? I don't know. Just curious. I can't let you get away with that, Adam. I'm just saying. I don't know. Maybe he does. I mean, that should be the thing. Is Yeah, he should, yeah I, hope, I hope he rides around and just yells at people in English and they don't get it. <laughs> <laughs> you cabbage farmer or whatever and they're like what is he saying is he drunk well, double dumbass on you yes uh. uh yeah and i guess the only other thing man um you know you got don't don't if you have disney plus don't sleep on wandavision it's really good and it continues to be good and yeah you if know, you started it and you're like oh this is just some cheesy thing it does get better um i mean not that they need advice from me, but I think they probably could have made the shift a little earlier away from cheesy into the regular show. But it's definitely interesting now, and it'd be interesting to see how much of the continuing Marvel story this becomes a part of. I've heard that this is kind of leading into Marvel Phase 4, so we'll see how that goes. I've Disney's heard... got so much coming out this year. 
like as soon as this ends, they've got uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier starting. The Falcon and, then and the, the Snowman. Yeah. And then uh, the Loki thing starts in June, which my 11-year-old is going crazy over, so... Oh, they got yeah. a lot going on. I mean, by the time that happens, I mean, we'll just have just bass had so much greatness by then, you know, and yeah. I, I, we'll forgotten about it. Like, oh, yeah, Tom Hiddleston is in a show. Oh, OK. Yeah. yeah we're cool. not too far away from Mandalorian again. Oh, so yeah. uh, another podcast that I was a fan of, it's the show is no longer on anymore, is Harmontown. So that's Dan Harmon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I listened to a reunion show that they did last Sunday. And uh, they talked about WandaVision, that, that, and so so Dan Harmon was kind of crapping on WandaVision a little bit because he said, you know, it's it's a pilot. This whole season is a pilot, so why not con- condense it into one one-hour show rather than trying to kind of um, stretch this out so much? So that kind of speaks to what you're talking about, you know, making the shift yeah. sooner. I don't know about that though. It definitely, could, I mean, they couldn't have done all this in an hour and. Part of the, uh, I mean, it's been in a serial format where they've released a new one every week. It's not like, you know, on Netflix, they just drop everything at once. But when you release something once a week, you can do real cliffhangers and make people, you know, Mm -hmm. wait for something. I guess, yeah, Mandalorian played like that, I suppose. Yep, yeah. You know, and that that kind of thing honestly makes me mad. I really think we are moving away from uh, them just dumping an entire show at one time. That's what I want, but they have discovered that um, doing a show in a serialized format it drives new drives new subscribers. You know, if we're all on Twitter talking about Wandavision, and you know, people are seeing that and they're going, "Well, dang, what is this thing?" So I got to check it out instead of it just being one day or one week that the entire season dropped, right? And we talk about it's it like for a week she- and it's gone. Yeah, when Stranger Things comes out, somebody is going to binge the whole show in a day, and then here I am like two days later thinking, okay, I need to start watching it. I heard the new one came out. So <laughs> Yeah, they're dropping all these memes you don't understand, yeah. and yeah, all this stuff. Yeah, so ah, I, I hope we, you know, I, I really see that coming. I really see, you know, we are no longer going to do that. So there will no longer be an entire show drop. You know, because yeah. when they moved Expanse over, that's what they did with it, was starting to do it, you know, doing it serialized and just, mm, anyway. Yeah, well, I mean, I'm not too, uh, I'm not, I, I remember the days where, you know, you'd, you'd see that, that cliffhanger in May and there was nothing you could do about it until October. <laughs> Mom, who do you think shot JR? Quiet, Richard. <laughs> Eat your peas. Yeah. So, uh, he's got to go outside and play for the whole summer. I guess the last thing I'll say uh, about WandaVision is the song that was a couple of seasons, a couple of uh, episodes ago, just was an utter and absolute Somebody all along. Oh, yeah. Yes, I cannot stop (laughs) singing that. (laughs) And if you'll notice, they used the Munsters theme song. Oh, yeah. As as it. And so, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just an absolute utter banger and um that actress was just fantastic i knew her uh from she's been in a bunch of stuff like parks and rec and um i remembered her from parks and rec but i had forgotten that she was the uh the the wife in stepbrothers as well she's the one that did the sweet child of mine in the car yeah that was her yeah (laughs) which is a the funniest scene so uh, was that cat dennings 
No, no, no. no Kat Dennings she... is in this also, but that's Catherine Hahn. Oh, okay, she, yeah, yeah. Kat yeah. Dennings is yeah is also awesome. And look, I know that this show got shit on so much when it was on the air, but Dad Gummit, I loved it. My dad loved it too, and that was Two Broke Girls. I never even heard of that. It's, I don't think I've heard of it. I haven't seen it. I, it's I, she was in it, and that is I want to say the first time I ever heard of Kat Dennings and there was something else that she had just come off of that was really big but I didn't watch it uh, Crossing Jordan I see here looking at her but her bio it, it that that show is just fantastic I mean it's it's a sitcom about two broke waitresses one of them used to be like super super rich and is now poor and having to live with Kat Dennings who's always been poor and yeah I just thought it was hysterical it was funny mm-hmm. she's in it she's got good comedic timing etc and so anyway this is a tabletop gaming show, so um, what have you been playing, Roy? Not this oh. episode. We're, we're 30 minutes <laughs> in. We have, no, we did mention games. We mentioned games about the uh, going to the moon. So. I'm trying to tie, yeah, I'm trying to tie it back. So <laughs> is there a board game where you could be two broke girls and like, try to... Would that be Monopoly, maybe? I don't know. Capitalism, no, don't the board Monopoly. game? Just, yeah, stay away from Monopoly. Yeah. Friend, friends don't let friends play Monopoly. <laughs> And uh, another one that we'll talk about later when it's my turn. Oh, okay. I, right. But I can guess what it is. That's the one I was texting you guys about as I was playing. <laughs> oh, okay. Yep. Uh, so, let's see. I've been playing some D&D. Uh, we are just about done with this high-level campaign. I think we're probably one or two more sessions to go. Um, and uh, let's see here. We... Um, Our current situation is that we are in the depths of um, uh, of well of hell essentially, and we're yes we're 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 fighting demons or we're uh, we're moving our way through various. uh, It's kind of a if you remember the Star Trek episode where they uh, were in a a competition and and the the voices were saying you know 500 quatlus against. It's, so we're we're kind of thrown into a uh, into an arena, um, battling through various uh, obstacles, and we're being observed by by somebody or some group of of demons who are uh, kind of watching us cavort. Who's running uh, this one? Is it a friend of yours? Yes. Okay. Yep. So this is all on all on roll twenty. Uh, this is the person. Uh, this is a uh, um, Finn Diesel is running this game. Okay. <laughs> so. Um, and we're just about ready to move on to a, a like a level one game that's going to be in the Midgard setting. Um, and so I have I've rolled up a a vampire slaying she bear. So, <laughs> um, this is going to be my character going forward now. It has wooden stakes for claws. Well, she's got a a, a big great club that I've named Boo Boo. So we're looking forward to that. Uh, then uh, most of these games I've been playing on Board Game Arena. Um, so I played uh, Zolkin, which is that's the game with the gears. It's from the same designer as Teotihuacan. Um, so you are... Um, you you're placing your workers on these gears. There's a big central gear, the the calendar gear. So it rotates through oh 28 days, I guess. Um, 
and the central gear rotates the five smaller gears around it and it moves you from station to station so if you go in at the zero place on one gear as you get rotated you get higher and higher um the benefits are more and more as long as you let it sit there and kind of marinate um so like on one one temple you can collect a crystal skull and then you can put it in a spot on another uh gear and get a bunch of points but each turn you have to spend you have to um or actually i guess it's four times you have to you have to pay your workers in corn um and so you're moving your your uh workers around and collecting and building buildings so it's kind of a worker placement but it has the kind of the added interest of the uh of the gear rotation uh so that's a uh, zolkin um and then i talked about carnegie before i still do not understand this game uh so it's based on the life of of andrew carnegie and uh you are you start, have your company with all of your different departments and you send your workers out on missions across the United States. Go, so, like, if you go money. to San Francisco, yeah. <laughs> so, like, you can. Uh, I'm going to start a an infrastructure project. I'm going to build a bridge in San Francisco. And so you can have you have a project there. And then as you connect the various cities, so you get points based on if you connect San Francisco to Chicago to New York to New Orleans, I think. So there's four hub cities, and if you get them connected, then that will give you a, a, a bucket of points. Um, you're shipping goods. You're sending workers out on missions. You're collecting income that you will get. Maybe you get uh, your income will be in goods, or maybe it'll be in an extra worker and more money or whatever thing. And then at certain points during the game, you can make a donation. So this starts at $5, and it goes up every 5 every uh, subsequent donation goes up by $5. Um, and so if you make a donation, you're saying I'm making an investment in victory points. So like if I, uh, if I make a donation that says that for every good that I have at the end of the game in hand, that's two points. So that's uh, the donation structure, but it gets more and more expensive to do that. So that's uh, Carnegie and a game I finished, just finished last night. It's called city of the big Shoulder. Which is a stock manipulation wait, wait. City, game. So City it's kind of, of the, you you dropped out. City of the big <laughs> what? Shoulders. So okay. it's it's that's uh, Chicago. So it's uh, it's based on the uh, after the fire, the rebuilding Chicago. And really, I got to say that the um, the mechanics of this game and the theme of this game are only very loosely connected to each other. Um, so it uses the um, you know the rebuilding of Chicago as the theme, but it's a stock manipulation game. So you are uh, buying stock in your company. You're buying stock in other players' companies. You can decide to start a new company, um, and so you, you know it's basically it's kind of a, a uh, uh, buy low, sell high kind of game. Um, then it kind of shares a little bit. I I understand with 18 double X games with the you know stock manipulation. So you're, um, you have your company, and then you have a few factories on there that you can produce goods. Um, so, yeah, that's, I don't know. It's, I thought it was okay, but not, I probably won't, won't play it again. It's like, uh, eh, we'll this, see. This one was all right. Yeah. But, yeah, you, you dropped, it's like a 
What is he saying? Is it Roy said it's the city of the huge and then drop like okay. <laughs> I don't know what's going on there. What kind of game is he playing? So mm. um and then, I, so I have a game of Through the Ages going on Board Game Arena that's been going since November. Um, and it's, uh, I know what I'm doing on it. Uh, you know, a lot of the games I play, I have no clue what I'm actually doing. <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that so one can be tricky, the too. There's a lot of different yeah. axes on that one where you've got to combine technology and replacing old buildings and military power. And there's a lot going on in that game. And we're playing the friendly version. You can you can do the one with conflict where I think you're. I'm not really sure. You probably know more about it than I do, Rich. So can as you not as, attack the other players? Right. Yeah. Interesting. I didn't even know there was that option. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I didn't uh, know you could not attack your neighbor. I play so America that's. Every uh, time. What's that? I just said I I didn't know that you cannot. Not attack your neighbor. I play America every time. Ah. Ah. Get them. So we are, I'm looking at the game log here. We're at 70% through. Uh, and like I say, it's been going since November. Um, this is just, you know, uh, it's my wife and a couple of other friends that have been yeah. playing that. I've played that um, game on, on the table before. It, it's, it's an interesting game. I like it. I know it's got some expansions, too, and I don't know if the expansions are just more leaders or what, but it's an interesting game. Mm-hmm. I like the way you have to time, like, getting rid of your leader and getting another leader. And I'm looking at the score here. I'm I'm in the lead, but I can't tell you why. <laughs> so I've been there, buddy. Been there. <laughs> And so then finally, uh, there's a game that we've gotten from our uh, our library called Puzzle Strike. So it's uh, it's a well, it's Puzzle Strike subtitled Bag of Chips. So it's a game of you, there's stacks of chips. It's it kind of plays very similarly to um, Dominion. It's one of those kind of those deck collecting games, but it's instead of cards, you have these these cardboard chips that go into a bag, and every turn you draw out. Uh, I guess it's five. And you do the thing on there. So it's kind of, of uh, it's themed after um, like the the match three, uh, you know, like iPad games. So like you says, okay, I can I have a crash gem here. I'm going to send a gem over to you, and I'm going to add add gems to your pile. If you ever have more than ten gems, then you've lost. Um, and so you can, you know, you can split the gems up, or you can like, I'm going to play this this chip, which will give me some extra actions. Maybe I can, um, I can trash a gem from my pile. Um, so it's it's uh, it's kind of the chibi style artwork. And there's several games that, that share the same universe. This is from Serlin Games. So you have Puzzle Strike, you have uh, Yomi, you have um, Flash Duel. They're all kind of based in the same universe with the same sort of artwork to it. So that's uh, Puzzle Strike. Okay, I know what you mean by the the match three on um yeah like an iOS game. There's a ton of these. Uh, the one I can think of that I enjoyed was was it I think it's Puzzle Quest. It's like a it's it's essentially it's an on the rails RPG maybe dungeon crawler, 
and you do combat by the matching three. It's like you oh, play yeah. something and then you you know you do that. But yeah, there's a whole. I think lot I have the things. Xbox version of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah, it, it was popular, so it should be available everywhere. But that's what this looks like. Although I see also like Neon Genesis Evangelion artwork on here. So and lots of there's waifus on here. Have See, and that's, I don't. Waifus? <laughs> or is this, this somebody? Might did, be... Maybe somebody did a custom deck or something. You know, I swear if you. Well, so there's been several editions of this. So this might be. Well, I don't know. Maybe di- newer editions were. Uh... I was looking for yeah. like family. You know, usually it has that listing, and you can see everything. Um. It just says re-implemented by... Okay, there's like a third edition, and yeah, okay. But it's fun, though, right? You just kind of do out, like, your board and flip them? Uh, well, there's no board in the edition that we have. Well, uh, I, I say board, but you are you make the uh, a thing with cards, right? Is that how it works? Well, there's the stacks of chips there. Oh, okay, okay. Which remind me of so, Fox. Yeah, they're uh, they're they're pretty decent weight uh, chips. So it comes with bags, and you you know you mix up the bags and draw them out, and the games play pretty quickly. As they should, you know. Who has time to play games nowadays? It's got to be fast. We don't have a lot of time, and you know, effort. Yeah, well, to be able to do things, and yeah, it's the whole thing. So, um, so that's what I've been playing. All right, cool. Um, I reckon it's my turn to speak and stuff. Um, my convention, Siege of Vicksburg, is going along well. Um, I will say that, surprisingly to me, maybe it shouldn't be, um, is all these things that keep popping up that, you know, I had no idea it was this difficult to for, you know, to just open a stupid bank account. Like, um, I, I formed an LLC for this thing, you know, to protect myself, my assets and whatnot. And um, I had to jump through so many hoops just to open a business bank account. Yeah, it, I was very, very surprised that, you know, this this was the thing, that it took this much effort and everything to do. So uh, it's coming along, but, you know, again, it's I'm having to fight laziness and everything else you know in order to to try and get it done and so i hit look for the biggest thing for me is i have been hemming and hawing and you know it is weird i have not talked to you guys about this so i will do that right now um the biggest problem i've i've had has been hemming and hawing over how much to charge you know, yeah, I, I saw you posted on Facebook or somewhere asking for some advice about that. Yeah, you know, and um, I I repeat the well I've repeatedly gone back to has been the um, there's a large quote unquote war gamers uh, Facebook group, and you know I've gone back there multiple times asking them what well what about this what about that, and so they've been you know really helpful because I mean all I'm doing is just asking you as a person as someone who would attend this convention, you know, what do you think if I did this or charge this, you know, and, and whatnot. So, 
Like, I have my venue, I have the dates, everything is, you know, the contract is signed and all this stuff, but I'm just freaking frozen with, like, how much to charge because I really need to open that up this week. I really need to start taking um, uh, in uh, registrations, you know, and selling the vendor spaces and all that. So it's like I know what I need. At, at the end of, of the Sunday, the last day of this, this thing, I know what I need to be able to operate in the black. And so having to turn around and try and, you know, put that out there it, just in the sense of like, okay, I think I want to charge this much, you know, and, and what do you guys think? So this convention and, and the other thing is people are like well what kind of convention is it what kind of games are going to be playing that's a really tough question to answer because you're like well it's the very first one oh yeah the other yeah. thing is how many people are you expecting and it's like i don't know if this was the second year i could absolutely tell you you know it's so weird you know when when you're doing the very first this year. is going to be a weird year anyway because with everything mm -hmm. getting canceled last year um it's it's hard to know if well first of all I mean still not entirely sure how much people are going to want to go to cons even toward the end of the year I mean you think you know what it's going to be like by then but everything got canceled last year so a lot of stuff is you know some people are going to be doubling up this year it's 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 just a weird year and you know it's not to mention I mean I'm not competing with anything per se I, I said it in October there's no I made sure there's no regional stuff. So, you know, I'm wanting to attract, you know, people in the region, in the southeast region, from Texas to Florida, you know, up to, like, Tennessee and, and over, all those in, and as a base. And then past that, it's like you start thinking about, attract, you know, bringing in people that, like, wow, this thing sounds so cool, I'm going to fly. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to fly in and, and go mm -hmm. to this thing. So, you know, you, you hope for that as well. So, like, okay, this thing will be Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. On Friday, uh, you can get in. It, it will be 8 a.m. to midnight, Friday and Saturday. And it will be 8 a.m. till 2 p.m. on Sunday. And because, I mean, I have never been a big uh fan of sunday gaming ever i don't think i ever ever have that's a travel day for me and so although i know not everybody else is like that it's that's definitely the way it fits for me so i kind of you know did that you know in thinking about this so knowing that knowing that you get that much time in order to game at this at this convention like i'm would like to charge 65 bucks, you know, for the weekend. And that's the other thing is people ask you, like, well, what is the Saturday going to cost or whatever? I don't know if I even want to do that. Like, I noticed, um, I, is it the uh, historic KC Fest? Yeah. I'm, I'm almost positive he's just charging, like, one rate for the for the entire weekend, whether you come a day or, or whatever. Yeah, I, I don't think he has a daily rate. You know, it's it seems like... That that's the the much easier way to do things is, I mean maybe I would charge a different rate for kids, 
But that seems to be about it. Is to the easiest thing to do is to just do. No, nah, I'm just doing one rate. Take it or leave it. But oh my gosh, it's like you know, with all of it, it's like you you're like, oh, this is gonna make somebody mad. Oh, this you know, they're not gonna go. So and it's just been a struggle trying to figure out. So I would like to do that. And I would like to charge, I think, uh, around like 175 for the vendor space, which would get you a 10 by 10 booth, you know, on the outskirts of the play area. Everything's going to happen in one room, you know, so far. That's the thing is if all of a sudden there, this thing gets a lot of interest and hundreds of people start registering, I can absolutely open it up for more space. You know, if, if I wanted to, and that would be super cool, but you can't, yeah, you can't guarantee that or whatever. So uh, I don't know. Mm -hmm. This this whole thing has just been weird, and so many people. For one one problem is like a lot of conventions nowadays are ran by like committee or or whatever. You know, there isn't like just one person you can talk to, and a lot of people, you know, a lot of them also kind of see you as like a rival. If you could believe that, and so they won't help you at all. You know, it's like, oh, I had to figure that out by myself, so good luck, buddy. <laughs> so, which kind of sucks, but, you know, I don't know. That's just where I'm at with Siege of Vicksburg. It's linked in the show notes. You can see it, and hopefully, shortly after you hear this podcast, I'll be taking registrations. So, how far is the Vicksburg drive for you, uh, uh, Richard? Uh... I don't know. We can drive to New Orleans in, I mean, a day easily because we've done that before. Um, so Vicksburg's, I don't know, is it halfway, two-thirds of the way maybe? Um, it's, I would, of course, I would say it's before It's before New Orleans from my perspective. Um, no, it is. That's what I'm saying is we would, it's not as far as New Orleans. So no, it's no, maybe two-thirds of the way. It's probably yeah. uh, an hour away from New Orleans, thereabouts. So, oh, you're pretty close. You're closer to New Orleans than I thought then. So. Yeah, yeah. How far is the drive uh, from Michigan, Roy? I'm looking it up. It is walking is 282 hours. How <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see here. So it is 867 miles. So that's about 17 hours, I think. Okay, yeah, Wait. that's that's a bit of a haul. Oh, yeah, and see, that's the other thing. People are, like, already asking me, well, what's the closest airport? And I'm like, I honestly haven't looked. It's either going to be... Only Jackson? Well, it's either going to be Jackson or it's going to be New Orleans. Um, Vicksburg is about an hour, 20 minutes from Jackson. But I don't know how far it is. From New Orleans. And also, like, the Jackson Airport sucks. The flights are really expensive. Uh, they don't have any of the fun, cool uh, <laughs> companies that are in. Well, we just did get Southwest back after losing them for years. So, yeah, I, I'm going to actually, I think, have to do, like, a PSA. You know, actually shoot some video and, and talk about, like, oh, if, or if you're interested in this, this is where... You know, whatever. Oh, yeah, and the other thing is, they're like, well, what hotel? And I'm like, damn it, I haven't got that far yet. This is this is so difficult. This is so hard, you know, having to think about... Well, you don't think about these things until somebody mentions it. So, boy. Anyway, that's, that's where I'm at, so it'll keep going. 
what I actually played, I got to play a game of Age of Sigmar, which was um, fun. And I was going to ask, Rich, are you doing Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, or are you doing the Age of Sigmar roleplay? Warhammer Fantasy. Okay. Uh, is that the Cubicle 7 version, or what, what company makes that one? I think so. Let me check the rollbook okay. real quick. I was just, yeah, I'm just trying to remember, because it's, you know, multiple people have had licenses for that, and it's going back and forth, and yeah, so. I I only, I I thought there was only a Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, and then I was surprised to recently see that there actually exists a Age of Sigmar roleplay as well, published by some oh. other company, so. I thought that uh, it's uh, yeah the AOS. Seven. Ah. I thought well, that Age of Sigmar was the the kind of they shifted over to fantasy. They did for the tabletop game, but um, they have initially been yeah. Even since this the swap, they are allowing quote unquote you to um, role play in the original Warhammer Fantasy world. So, yeah, it's a little confusing because there's, yeah, now they have an Age of Sigmar roleplay too. So, there you go. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I played my uh, Cadron Overlords, which are the, the steampunk dwarves and the big ships, versus a friend of mine's Trolls and Goblins army. And uh, did okay. Ah, man, I am still, still short on some rules learning about, like, what I can and can't do. With uh, Sigmar and 40k and stuff, what always gets me is they'll have, like, the extra phases for, like, magic. And, you know, uh, well, this is the hero phase where if you want to do this or that or if you have a relic that does something, I get lost in those. They're like, oh, you have Aether Gold. What do you do with that? And I'm like, you're asking the wrong person, Chief. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, the other thing, I uh, got my daughters of Cain. Little Snake Girls, uh, the new releases for them came out. I got the Endless Spells and the new uh, rule book, and uh, played some Legion. I'm actually three and O oh this I week. I saw that. Yeah. That is impressive. Yeah, it really is, given myself. Um, and I liked your uh, I liked your tokens too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Where'd yeah. you get those made? Uh, a guy on Etsy I found. He was doing custom uh, legion tokens and i was like well can i get my logo put on there and so i have the cog gear logo and yeah. uh done on it i have two i got two extras and i need to toss them up on patreon and i'll just yeah i'll give them away as a patreon tier i think because they're they're really nice and they're i like them because they they clink together that nice plastic sound oh yeah sure and yeah if i if i was going to upgrade something on legion that'd probably be the first thing i'd upgrade well, I, you know, it's just as far this. as like unnecessary bling stuff. Yeah, I posted it last night, I think. Oh, okay. I think. Yeah, I think it was on Twitter yesterday. Last yeah, three yeah. and oh, that's that was what really impressed me. Though. Yeah, it was. Uh, I played uh, two of my um, what do you call it games of uh, the league games, and I told you guys about the the issues we were having in the league. I think I mentioned where you know people are like, oh, I don't want to play with those. I want to play Star Wars Legion, but not with those guys because they're too competitive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that's been kind of the thing. Or, you know, the problem is, is they all they ever want to do is play their league games, you know? So eh, that's that's been kind of a thing. So I think we are actually going to take a break um, 
between because we've been running these leagues like it's not you it's me we just need to take a break (laughs) yeah we we had been uh we've been running these league game uh, leagues like back to back to back and it's just ridiculous and so usually so as opposed to what just like casual show up and play somebody well i would say what most people do with leagues is you're like okay league is over it'll be a month or three before we start up another one you know, okay. which allows people to, you know, allows for new releases. It allows for, you know, people to, you know, new people to come into the game and like, you know, and get ready for it and, and whatever. But we've just been running them like, okay, they finished one week. Well, we're starting a new league next week. And but so, really, the only difference is keeping standings versus not keeping standings, right? That is it. And, okay. you know, we, well, it's. But it also, gives you a chance to maybe play with a new roster if you feel like it doesn't count, if you want to call it right. that. And, of course, a lot of people's argument for playing competitive in the league is this is a cash league. We pay X amount of dollars to play, mm-hmm. and in return, we get discounts, you know, whatever. But also, at the end of it, it's like it's like a really giant tournament. At the end of it, there is their prize payouts, like with, okay, the first person, first place in the league gets this, second place gets this, you know. And uh, it's all for store credit. So, you know, people, yeah, it's just get competitive and I don't know. And, and the weird thing is, is like, you also kind of run into the, the thing of, I want to give people the benefit of the doubt, but I also, like, I've personally never heard anybody complain, you know, about going, oh, I wanted to play Legion, but you guys are too competitive. So, I don't know. So, yeah, the fact that I'm, I'm winning now. So I'll, I'll jinx myself, and I won't ever win again, but, you know. <laughs> I I think for me, it's been now I've slowly figured out what I, how the game works and what my army can do. And, uh, you know, looking at it, like, I would argue Star Wars Legion is a min-max game if you're playing it competitively. You do your, for Rebels, it's, at 800 points, it's three Rebel Trooper squads with no upgrades. The only reason I have those things is to... Because you able, have to. <laughs> yeah, to be able to legally field this. Yeah. And now, uh, it's like, alright, well, you need a lightsaber. You absolutely, absolutely need a lightsaber character in this game. So I'm going to take Luke, because that's who I own. And then I also learned, like, well, special characters work really good in this game. So I got Sabine. Sabine has paid off for me really well with her surprise, here's some bombs, you know, <laughs> move. And what I have got my butt kicked a couple of times on really makes me want to add Leia to it because she's got that. Um, I the, love Leia and Chewie together, brains and brawn. She's got that, you know, okay, the game has started, you're all set up, now I'm rolling red dice and I'm hitting, you know, multiple squads of yours. Mm-hmm. You know, that's whatever that is, that orbital yeah. strike thing. And the main uh, reason I like her is I like that. I think she has, I think it's called take cover too. But, you know, if you can activate her early and get some dodge tokens out and remember the rebels get to keep their dodge tokens even after they spend them. So you can make it a real pain in the ass to hit people. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I kind of want her cause I really like that. Cause I want to do Veers does a, a similar thing and I want to do that for Veers and, uh, yeah. yeah. I think he gets aim tokens, and she gets dodge tokens, which is thematic for Rebel and Empire. You know, Empire is more offensive, Rebels are more defensive. 
But dadgum, playing yesterday. In that game, anyway. Playing yesterday, man, is I hate rolling white defense dice. Oh, I, I know. hate it. Because, mm-hmm. I mean. I was, I, yeah. I was teaching my daughter to play. We played a couple times in the last few weeks. And, you know, it's just you want someone to experience the joys of the game. But, I mean, there's just nothing like the look on her face when I wipe out an entire squad because she rolls, like, five blank whites. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, honestly, that's it. It's, it's like you take a, you know, uh, four four hits, and you're like, yeah. okay, well, this this is probably gone. This, yeah, this there's, whole, yeah. yeah, there's been times in the game where I've almost lost an entire Rebel squad on, like, the first roll of the game. I just, ugh, <laughs> I, I utterly struggle with that. I will say Legion is getting less popular because Armada is is just shooting through the roof. So we may give Legion a rest in order and maybe do like an Armada League or something. But I will also caution you that when we did this for X-Wing, X-Wing never came back. So... Now, granted, part of that was COVID, and the main guy who pushes X-Wing, you know, has health issues and can't come out. But still, um, yeah, there's a whole lot of people sitting at home with a whole lot of X-Wing stuff that's not getting played. And be- and I would argue yeah. the reason why is people are playing, uh, you know, they're playing Legion. And we've tried moving it to different days and times, but the reality is, you know, Star Wars games are going to cannibalize other Star Wars games. That's just the way of it. Yeah, we're still, St. Louis is still more or less locked down. I mean, there are a lot of things you can do here, but like playing at Miniature Market is not one of them. So it's hard for me to judge the popularity of any game at all until we all get back to full face-to-face gaming. Oh, uh, that does remind me, I'm reasonably sure... In Mississippi, our, all our restrictions are gone next week. I, yeah, I'm almost, we're, I mean, we're slowly positive. loosening up, and, and it makes sense because the numbers are definitely getting better here. So, um, But, yeah, it, it, like the the game rooms are not open yet. So, Yeah, and see, that was, that was the problem, you know. It's like I couldn't stream stuff because FFG doesn't want us doing any – they don't want us playing in public. Yeah. You know, essentially, they certainly don't want any sanctioned tournaments. So. Oh, uh, yeah. I was going to ask you about that, too. Sorry, your terrain from the game you posted yesterday. Was that the same guy that did the Felucia? Um, let me look I like those power generators, like the power generators that were, they were blue and kind of half buried. Those looked really good. Oh, no. Uh, my friend Bill uh, did those. And, um, yeah, they're, it's honestly, it's not a... He's not happy with the quality because, like, if you look at it closely, <laughs> it, it's got some little missed things. But you can always just say, well, you know, it's it's sci-fi, whatever. But uh, he did those, and uh, they're really good. Yeah, the guy that did the Fallujah stuff, uh, or Fallujah, whatever it is, it's not in Iraq. It's in space. Um, <laughs> it's, uh, like, he lives in Starkville, Mississippi, which is home of Mississippi State University, and runs his group up there, and he comes here for... Um, tournaments and stuff and so um that he did that table and stuff uh bill did those and bill did the hoth table and okay. we were actually talking about it needs a place to be stored recently you know recently because it, it's it has gotten in the way but anyway um so i guess the only other thing i'll have listed in the show notes was um the humble bundle did a fallout wasteland warfare sale and 
it was 18 bucks, and for me, the STL files were worth it. Because I'll get um, Mike at Alter Dementia or uh, one of the locals to print these out for us to use. For Some of them, some of them will work for <coughs> Star Wars Legion, because I really think the Fallout, the, the rocket gas station thing is really cool. And I, I think that would look awesome in Star Wars Legion. And um, the the house, I think, will work. The ruined uh, suburban house, I think, will work for bolt action. So I got that. Not only that, you get some pretty nice discounts, like 50% off. And I originally went to Modifius's website to see, okay, well, what is this going to cost me? And it's... Because in shipping, I think it was going to cost me like $35 in shipping. And this is like a 50% discount on like the Fallout RPG. And uh, I was told to wait another month or so because they're going to open a U.S. store. So the shipping will drop to be much cheaper. So, you know, you get uh, it's a 50% off the extra dice set and the uh, Wasteland RPG bundle. So there you go. So, um, oh yeah, my last thing I have on here is Age of Samurai Battle for Japan is this really cool Netflix docudrama. Um, have you seen this yet or are you just I've, interested? I've watched two episodes and have loved okay. it. Because uh, I've got that, I've got that sort of, you know, they say add it to my list. So I've got to add it to my list. It looks interesting, but I haven't seen it yet. Two episodes and it's great. If you remember like when the History Channel did cool documentaries did history stuff yeah yeah where they'd have like mm. a guy be you know interview you know and he's talking about stuff and it will it'll cut to like an acted and dramatic version of what he's talking about yeah it's like that man it's really really good uh i dig it of course i absolutely love this um time period of japan of what they're talking about and that Oh my gosh, it, there has been so many freaking board games made out of it. There has been video games. That's which, where I got my start with this time period in Japan was Nobunaga's Ambition on the original NES. And so, yeah, it's it's that time period where you have all these warring states in Japan and one guy that, you know, ends up fighting and uniting, you know, everything. So, yeah. I'll have to I, check that out. Yeah. So uh, that's it for me. What have you been playing, Rich? A uh, couple RPGs, same ones that I've been playing, but I'm still playing Call of Cthulhu and Warhammer Fantasy RPG. Both of those are actually like the, the current campaigns are coming toward an end. So I think maybe within the next month or two, I may be playing nothing or maybe playing something else or who knows. We'll see where it goes. Um, I've been playing... Con- actually finally got back into historical ASL, so I had talked in the past about playing Red Factories. We finished up the uh, the first campaign game, the first scenario of the first campaign game. So if you play ASL, you know, every scenario is basically just like uh, you know, it's got, you've got objectives and at the end of the scenario, often you may just like rush a bunch of guys to get to the objective and you don't care if they all die because it doesn't matter. Well, the campaign games, whoever survives gets to keep fighting and you get reinforcements as well. So if you don't throw away a bunch of guys in the suicide charge and you're more likely to win the second scenario. And I think there's, I think there's four or five total scenarios in this campaign game. And then there's several campaign campaign games in the box so we finished up the first one we're doing like the in-between stuff right now and then we're going to pick back up i think next week 
So. so do your survivors, do they like level up? No, they don't. It's nothing like that. Um, okay. And, but you do get reinforcements. So, you know, the big thing is, you know, I've got this, I've got this squad here and um, I've got this building there and it's pretty low probability that I'm going to take that building. But if I'm just playing a regular ASL game, what's it matter? Because the game is over in one turn, whether, whether these guys live or die, you know, even if I, I need to roll a two for them to live, well, if I do nothing, I lose. And if I take the, if I, you know, I might as well send them, otherwise I'm going to lose anyway. So, whereas in the campaign game, you may lose the uh, the scenario, but be in a much better place to take the next scenario. So there's no leveling up, but you do get reinforcements. You get more guys coming on. Mm, okay. And then I played a game. It's uh, we played this on um, Board Game Arena or no Yukata. We played it on Yukata called A Few Acres of Snow, um, which is it's a combination deck building war game that takes place during the uh, the French and Indian Wars. Uh, so one player plays Great Britain, the other player plays France, and it's kind of an odd little game. I mean, I had wanted to play it for a while just because my daughter loves deck builders so much, but. I kind of feel like there are better deck builders out there and there are better war game war games out there. And this one doesn't do either one of them particularly well. So it's okay. I mean, if someone wanted to play it, I'd play it again probably, but it's definitely not one that I would go searching out. Do you know who the designer on that one is? Uh, I do, but I'm, I'm almost now, positive. Somebody, I thought it was like Martin Wallace or somebody. Did it, it is Martin Wallace. Yeah. Ah! I was just drawing a blank on his name. It's definitely Martin Wallace. Yeah. Oh, okay. Look at me remembering stuff. Awesome. <laughs> and I swear, I thought they had done an electronic version of that, but no, there is a, there is well, a, it's, tape. On, it, it's on Yucata. So you can play it electronically there. There's a, uh, table. What is it? Uh, the, the, the thing all the kids are using. Tabletop, Tabletop simulator. simulator. Yeah, there's one of those. Yeah, that doesn't it, surprise yeah. me at all. But Yucatan is pretty nice. I mean, it's a good implementation of it because Tabletop Simulator, you still have to enforce the rules yourself, whereas Yucatan will do all that for you. So, um, And then I played a new game. Actually, this is one my daughter was thinking about picking up a couple months ago called Hail Hydra. We were at Miniature Market. And she saw it, and she really wanted to get it. But we looked at it and it's like, Sweetie, this is five to eight players. When are we ever going to get to play this game? So because there's only three people living at home right now and, you know, with like, why don't you just hold on to your money? You can always get it later. So then like two weeks after that, my wife um, for her, she had her 50th birthday a couple weeks ago. And she's like, well, let's invite her best friend and their family over because we're kind of in a, a bubble anyway. So but that made the number of people in the house go up to. I think it was eight. So we're like, hey, is he's like, hey, can I get that game now? We'll play that. So we played that at my wife's birthday. Um, and it was interesting. It was fun. Um, it's not a great game. I think there's some balance issues in it. But basically, um, you play you all play Marvel heroes like Spider-Man or Captain America. Or there's a whole list of them. But interestingly enough, some of the players, even though you're playing heroes, will secretly be Hydra. So you find out at the beginning of the game, there's always more. Uh, good guys than bad guys. So, like, if you play eight, I think it's like five and three. If you play seven, I think it's four and three. It tells you in the rule book. But some of the players will secretly, at the beginning of the game, be assigned Hydra roles. And their job is to, without giving themselves away, help the Red Skull destroy New York. And everyone else's job is to stop Red Skull from mm -hmm. de destroying New York. So, so this looks like uh, Werewolf or uh, Secret Yeah. Hitler. 
I haven't. Yeah, I, and I haven't played either of those. Oh, okay. Um, I think there's another game called The Resistance that I think mm-hmm. it's very much like. Um, but yeah, it's it's one of those sort of secret trader games. Okay. Um, it was interesting. It was fun. I would definitely play it again. But it seems like Hydra's a little overpowered just because. So New York's got something like 27 hit points, and you know it gets knocked down in various ways. But at any point in the game the Hydra guys can just declare themselves Hydra. They come out, they reveal themselves, and they'll immediately do three damage to New York. Well, that means if New York gets down below nine health, the game is already over. Because if you've got three Hydra people, they can just do nine damage by revealing themselves, and there's nothing you can do about it. So that was the way the last game ended, and it felt very unsatisfying, even though I was one of the Hydra guys at that time. So Is it per Hydra person, or like the first... Whenever That's the way says, I read I'm it, okay. but it's entirely possible that I read the rules wrong, too. So um, I don't know. It, it was fun. Right. Um, I would play it again, but it it's impossible to play with less than five players, so it's not something that's going to make it to the table a whole lot. All right, Rich. All I want to know is how much dramatic whispering of Hail Hydra into people's ears is there in that game? None. There's None. no there's no dramatic whispering at all. You you announce it loudly and clearly when you are proud to be a part of Hydra. So. Okay. It is funny, though, because we're all sitting around the table and at the beginning of the game, what you do is you say, everybody close your eyes. And then you say, if you are Hydra, open your eyes. So those three people can look at each other and know who each other are. Then you say, everybody close your eyes and then everybody open your eyes. So those three people know who they are. But we were playing like with a couple of younger kids in the group that, that did fine as far as the rules of the game, but they do not have poker faces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, okay, everybody open your eyes, and you look over like, okay, Gus has a huge smirk on his face. Gus is Hydra. We need to vote him out immediately. <laughs> <laughs> but you can kind of play that to your advantage, too. If you are Hydra, you can be like, okay, look, this person over here looks awfully suspicious. You can, um, it kind of reminds me, and I haven't played this one either, but all the, all the kids today are playing Among Us. And for the kids that were in our group, they said it kind of reminded them of that. Ah, okay. Mm. Yeah. yeah, it is funny. Like every, It seems like every few years, one of those games, which is basically just, you know, it's basically a secret trader. That, that's the, yep. the, uh, for, the formula think, for it. And, yeah. Yeah. I haven't played Battlestar Galactica, but I heard that one did a really good job of that, too. Oh, yeah. That was so strange because, you know, usually you think, um, you know, movie tie-ins or or TV tie-ins are garbage. That one was insanely popular because people loved the mechanic in it, which just so happened to work perfectly for the TV show. So, you know. All right. So, the same day... (laughs) <laughs> I played what is certainly going to be my least favorite gaming experience of the year. I found a game that I enjoy less than Settlers of Catan, and you I will never no longer play this game before. I, I have never played this game. Really? Before. All right. So we played, and this might be the problem. We played eight-player Munchkin, <laughs> and it was so painful. I mean. I was I was live texting you guys like while I was playing because we went around the table three times. So I had a total of three turns. I played and every turn takes me oh, two to five minutes. Maybe I played a total of three turns in an hour and 45 minute game. 
the rest of the time I sat there doing basically nothing, just texting you guys saying I now I had heard before someone described to me at Munchkin one time and maybe the reason I ever played it. They said it's a half hour fun and a two hour game. Now, those numbers were <laughs> off for me, but I see where that comes from now. It was just brutal. I can imagine that this game is better at three or four players, but this is not a game that I will ever willingly play again. <laughs> a half hour of fun in a two-hour game? Yeah. Okay. That's the way someone described it to me once. All right. You need to fill up the other, what, hour and a half with uh, with alcohol and drugs. Well, not drugs, but I definitely filled it with alcohol. I okay. think in that game I had a glass of brandy and a glass of uh, bourbon. So, yeah. <laughs> and if if it had gone on one more turn, I probably would have been two-fisting it. Bring, bring me the bottle. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I won't say anything else about Munchkin other than that. I will it, – it, it, Settlers of Catan is no longer my least favorite game. Actually, it, Neither is my least favorite game. I, I would have to put something like Candyland at the bottom, but yeah. You need, a, you need to try eight-player Catan. No, I don't. <laughs> I really don't. Thank you, though. <laughs> um, the next day, after everyone left and it was just the family again, we played another game of Gaia Project. I talked about that last time, so we just wanted in through said to my daughter who was in town for from college for the weekend, and um, we actually didn't even quite finish it. I can't remember what happened. I think... I don't know. Some happened. We didn't finish the game, but um, I talked about that last time. It's fun. I, I definitely want to play that one some more. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we played a game that I haven't played in a couple years called Soro. This is actually my 11 year old. This is the first game that she ever bought with her own money. She bought it probably five years ago or something. Mm-hmm. Um, and have you guys played this game before? Yeah, I have a copy of it. I think yeah. I, it was originally a WizKids game. Oh, was it? Okay. Um, Oh, it's a super okay. simple game. I mean, it's it's ridiculously simple. Um, it plays in five to fifteen minutes easily. So we played it like three times in an hour or something. Um, but it's just it's it's kind of mindless, but it's not it's not the bad kind of mindless. I mean, it's 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 pleasant to sit down and just play. You you each get like a little token that you put on the edge of the board, and you put these these uh, cards on the board to sort of build it as you go. And you just have to follow whatever path is in front of you. So you start off kind of making your own path, but then as the three players converge, you have to force and you follow other people's paths too. And the, the, the goal of the game is to be the last man on the board. So it's a really simple, but nice game. So we played that amazingly. I think, I think it was like late at night. It was, you know, almost bedtime and she wanted to play something and she's like, well, let's play this or this. And like, no, those are going to take too long. So we played Zorro. Hmm. All right. And then I've been playing Pavlov's house as well, which I can't remember if I've ever talked about on this show before, but it's a solitaire game came out about three years ago as a Kickstarter. It's um, it's Pavlov's house is a, is a real place in world war two in the battle of Stalingrad. And it's just a game that takes place during the battle of Stalingrad. It's, it's, it's solitaire only, although there are co-op rules, but I've never played it that way. But basically, your goal is just to hold out until the end of the game. It's it's kind of a kind of like a states of siege games with a lot more going on. Um, you have to reinforce the house. You have to set up air defenses. There's a whole lot going on in it. And actually, this game just recently, like Friday, I think, actually came out on Steam and iPad as well. And it's like oh, nine really? bucks on Steam. 
Yeah, and I I instantly bought it on Steam just because I like the game so much, and um, it's one of those games just because it it's not a pain to set up, but usually I've got something else on my table, so I would play about once a year, but on Steam, when I can click it and be playing it in two minutes, I mean, I'll play the game at least once a week now, so it's only nine bucks, so yeah, Adam, put it on your wish list, and when it goes down to four dollars, you can get it. So oh, it yeah. says that they, the Pavlov's house is a fortified apartment building that was defended uh-huh. for two months from yeah. a constant German assault. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, the the it's history be, the history behind it is fascinating. Yep. I don't yeah, understand how guy, you pulled out that guy's, one. The guy's name it, it wasn't literally his house. It was Sergeant Pavlov was his name, and they called it Pavlov's house. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it was insane. They were they're getting attacked by artillery and tanks and everything else, and it was. I don't want to say a handful. I mean, probably over the course of the couple months, they might have had 20, 30 guys in there in and out. A bunch of them got killed. But, mm-hmm. yeah, it was absolutely insane. And it kind of became kind of the Alamo of Stalingrad, where it was okay. a rallying point, where this type of thing was going over all o- going on all, all over Stalingrad. But this became, you know, everybody talking about Pavlov's house, I think, even during the battle and how, how strong these guys were and holding out against the Germans. Well, I don't understand why, how they, they managed to hold out. I think if I were, you know, a, a German assaulting it, I'd set up an artillery piece. They did. And just pound it into <laughs> dust. I mean, they tried, you know, but I mean, the fact of the matter is the Germans were having trouble too. The Germans were at the edge of their supply lines. They were running ah. out of ammunition. They were running out of food. So, so it, the Germans in Stalingrad in 40, or 41, whenever it was, were, were not the same Germans that were on day one of Barbarossa, you know. Mm, okay. Oh, yeah. They had been ground down to nothing. They were yep. short. They had no supplies, no nothing. Yeah. How the the opposite side of Pavlov's house is really interesting history, too. The last Germans that held out were in the basement of a department store before surrendering. And I can't think of the guy's name, but yeah. He Hitler accidentally promoted him to field. <laughs> no, it, it was not an accident. So well, no, yeah, well, no, I say I say accidentally because he had <laughs> no idea the very next day the guy was going to surrender. Well, but, no. So what happened is Hitler promoted him because no German field marshal had ever surrendered without killing himself. So Hitler promoted him so that he would kill himself. And then Paulus immediately said, "Okay, thanks for the promotion. We're surrendering now." <laughs> okay, so I didn't know that. That it yeah. was, uh, yeah, yeah. That was the entire point of the promotion is to get him to kill himself out of honor. Hmm. Yeah. That's, when you, when yeah. You, when work just asked. So they much took like it. something like six hundred thousand Germans into prisoner of war camps after that, and something like five percent of them ever made it back to Germany. Yeah. So it was brutal. I mean, it was brutal all the way around. The rule was is um, nobody, no prisoner of war gets to go home until the country's rebuilt. You're gonna you're gonna fix all the stuff you broke, and yeah. so that's what they did. They used them as essentially slave labor for like the next decade yeah. or more. And a lot of them, they just killed right yeah. there. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, the Germans and the Russians. There are. I mean, it's such it's a fascinating historical time because there weren't really any there. There's no good side in that. I don't want to say there were no good guys because there's always good people in the midst of it. Um, but, yeah, there's no there's no good good guys between the Germans and the Russians. Yeah. 
So hmm. okay, I was actually so, I was looking yeah, for Pavlo, uh, Pavlov's house on Steam, and I got lost in uh, Sl- Slytherin <laughs> is having a, a sale. Yeah, um, they're gonna break you. Yeah, I thought I thought it would be over there, and maybe maybe it is done by them, but um, I can't. Find no, it. it's it's not Slytherin. It's uh, you know, let me bring up Steam here. We're not live googling. We're ah, live, there it is. Live Pavlov's steaming. house is made by Bookmark Games. They developed it and published it. Yeah, nine bucks. I'll definitely pick this up. I kind of want um. I uh, want it on iPad too. I think. If it, and I think it is out on iPad. I don't know about Android yet. So if it, if it plays easy, well, usually, um, usually it is. Um, it goes to um, Android first because apparently that's way easier to develop and. Easier, I would think more open source, yeah. And easier to get on um, to the store because Apple requires a bunch of hoops and stuff for you to jump through. But I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, so. And then on my table right now that um, I just started playing yesterday is Next War Vietnam. So this is uh, GMT's Next War series designed by Mitchell Land. And uh, this is basically a theoretical Chinese-Vietnamese war in the near future. So I just started playing it. Um, I've played other Next War games in the past and my first time playing this one. And so far, so good. You know, that's really neat. Uh, I never thought about that as being a next war. Like when he did next war uh, India-Pakistan, yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. That literally probably will be the next war. Um, I can't think of one that would be higher than that one. Yeah, Um, I mean, if I was going to sort of rank them, and what a terrible thing to do, that would probably be number one. Uh, Taiwan might be number two. Oh, yeah, maybe. Korea, oh, Korea yeah. might be three, yeah. Um, and and I I have them all. Um, and there are actually rules in the Vietnam rule book for combining Korea, Taiwan, and Vietnam into one monster game. Mm-hmm. But I don't have the time or space for that right now. <laughs> see, I need to see. I do want to get all the maps out and just lay them out just to see how much space it would take up. I want. I need to see if um at. Uh, historic KC Fest, they're still doing that dinner dinner with a designer. If, yes, if yeah, yeah, they is are still available. Yep, yep. Mitch is going to be there, and I think it's um the guy from Last Hundred Yards is the other one. Yep. Mike Denson. I've yeah. met. I, I think see, those I've, are the two. I've met Mike. Um, I haven't met Mitchell, so I need to sign up for that one. Need to see what I need to do. Yeah. All right, and ah, I guess the next thing we have is we have a sponsor, our own Mike. <laughs> from uh, Alter Dementia, and it's uh, linked in the show notes because it's spelled weird. It's Alter 3D Dementia. Uh, anyway, uh, he does 3D printing. He will print whatever you have an STL file for, or he has licenses to print other things. He'll print it out. He'll send it to you. No muss, no fuss. You don't have to worry about you know your power bill or you know the printer <laughs> going wrong. He's not going to send you a bad one. You know he'll send you you know a good one. So there you go. And the discount code for 20% off is COG2019. That three-year-old code is working great. And, uh, yeah, so. Next yeah, I need to talk to him. I need to get some Legion terrain printed up, so I'm going to contact him. <sighs> yeah, it's uh, me too. Like with what I I've think got. what I want to do, I know he has some stuff on his website, um, but I was just kind of browsing around on, on Thingiverse and picking up some stuff there. So I might send him the STL files. 
and okay. him do it that way. I sent him some stuff for Battletech I need, and then after that I want to get, get some uh, bolt-action stuff printed um, terrain-wise. I was talking to a guy, uh, one of the rare occasions, somebody comes from out of town into my local shop looking for a Flames of War game, and uh, he was from Georgia, and he was talking about you know, 3D printing most, you know, having, having to 3D print a lot of his army because it was not, um, available for purchase from the company led him to eventually just to stop buying from a company and just uh, other than rules and cards and dice or whatever, he just ended up 3D printing it all. And, you know, that's kind of the way it goes with historical games, you know, it can save you a lot of money that way. So next segment's on, What's on your radar where we talk about things that are either brand new or is the first we ever heard of them, and there you go. And uh, I discovered this a couple weeks ago. Yeah, this will be linked in the show notes as everything is we talk about. This is tankmarkings.blogspot.com. This is a overall listing for UK uh, tank, mar- uh, tank markings. It's for Second World War British and Commonwealth vehicle. And I just thought it was neat. I mean... I'm always fascinated by like where they get their, you know, logos for lack of a better term for, uh, for, and, uh, yeah, this lists it all. So if you want, and based on like where they were, if they were in North Africa or, you know, Italy, wherever, and, you know, like if it was the 79th armored division, it'll actually even give you a breakdown on how they were organized and, you know, so there you go. So this way you'll, if you want that super duper historically accurate, uh, tank, this is the guide for you. The cool. next thing is several, we had several things here on Kickstarter. The first thing being the One Ring. And. Now, has that one met its goal yet? It has three. <laughs> as, as, well, yeah, it's, it, they wanted a measly 12 grand. And as, they were at $5 million in like an hour. It was insane. <laughs> as of. Uh, no, not five million, 500,000 in an hour. And as of this podcast, with three days left to go, they've raised $1.4 million. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, essentially, which is really weird in reading this, because my whole thing was like, do we need this or whatever? I discovered there are a whole lot of people that did not like the art direction of the last Middle Earth game, um, that they found it, quote unquote, lazy. You know, that it, you know, it wasn't original. It was like, oh, well, this guy, you know, they obviously used Ian McKellen as, you know, as an, you know, for this and whatnot. And it just wasn't good. I didn't know. I had no idea. So Free League has done a ton of, a ton of Kickstarters and a ton of different games. So I guess this will be into whatever kind of system you call that. And uh, it's with complete new art, and it it really has that cool fantasy, kind of a modern fantasy art direction, and I I really like that. I will say. Yeah, I do remember in the last version there was there was the Middle Earth, the One Ring role playing game, and then there was something I think it was called like Middle Earth Adventures for Fifth Edition. Yep. And they both had the exact same art, like yep. literally the same pictures in both books. But this is. New, obviously new art so have you played this system before either of you i think i own some but i have of course i've never played it yeah i played, played it merp back in the uh, day okay i've played this system before and it's interesting um it's 
I don't want to say it's combat light because there is combat in it, but it kind of focuses on more stuff besides combat. Combat is definitely not the the first uh, the first focus of the game, I would say. It looks like for thirty six bucks you get PDF, core rules, and starter set. For sixty, you get um, hardback starter and uh, full color. And uh, looks like for ninety six is what you've got to pay in order to get the stretch goals. And of course, that gets you into the alpha. And for one hundred and forty two, they have a limited edition, blah blah blah, and a, a retailer thing. I'm trying to see is like what are okay I would say, you know, kind of the stretch goals, this is where would make and break if you wanted to do it. I would prefer if stretch goals were at the $60 level because that really makes this worth getting instead of actually waiting for it to come out and uh, do it. Apparently, uh, map, dice, but okay, I also want to know, because a lot of companies do this, they will have stretch goals, but you don't get them for free you can have it as an option to purchase dice or, or whatever. Um, yeah, I, I think I that's what uh, Frosthaven d- did. Yeah, I don't like that at all. It's like, no, if it's a stretch goal, it should be for money, and you should give it to me. So, um, yeah. Frosthaven yeah. Has, has some add-ons. In fact, some of the Frosthaven add-ons, a number of them, are actually for Gloomhaven. They're not even for Frosthaven itself. Okay, so, yeah, looking at these, it looks like... Um, these come with it, all their stretch goals. And yeah, it's a whole lot of stretch goals, but you just got to spend a hundred bucks on this. And of course, not to mention it would be plus shipping, which will probably be $25 or more if it's shipping from wherever they have SEC money, S-E-K. Is that Sweden? Swedish Kroner. Okay, yeah. I think. So Yeah. yeah, I mean, they have a whole lot of stuff. And then, okay, they do have add ons you can purchase. As well, any of these that, um, yeah, if you didn't want to, if you wanted to not spend the ninety-six dollars, just spend the sixty and then buy the dice, that'll let you do it. So, I mean, I guess it's worth it. But this will, I mean, absolutely be in the store. And uh, oh yeah, yeah. So anyway. yeah, I mean, I think the only reason this even came up is because whoever it was lost the license. Was that a year or two ago? And then, I mean, as soon as that happened, they were all over getting this back up and going. And, you know, I will say um, Lord of the Rings is right there on the edge of going into public domain. So I'm almost positive it is in public domain in the U.K., so, you know, once that happens, I mean, dadgum, you're going to see a whole bunch of people, you know, just cranking these things out, you know, just deciding that, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm making my own version. I'm making my own version. And yeah, mm-hmm. just because they can. So, yeah, let's see. Uh, the next thing we had was another Kickstarter. All right. There's a root expansion on Kickstarter. And I'm—I mean, come on! I mean, I'm kind of tired of going. Why? <laughs> I, I kind of feel the same way. I've—I've I've mm. got a stack of four root boxes here now, and the last two expansions I haven't opened yet. So I saw this and I go, "That might be cool," but I'm okay. <laughs> well, I mean, I'm like, "Why are you kickstarting it?" You know, buddy. Root's insanely popular. They've, 
Yeah, but they've kickstarted absolutely everything from the beginning, haven't they? Yeah, I guess they're just used to it. But I'm like, no, yeah. no, it's again, Kickstarter is for Roy and his own little his little thing because <laughs> he's not a big company. Whatever he wants to put out because he's a small guy. It's not. I have zero big, ambition. I will never have anything on Kickstarter. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's for Roy's company. It's not for for you. When you become a big company, you don't need to kickstart stuff anymore. You you don't need it. And in fact, I swear to you, you'll make more money by taking on the risk yourself. You got to think you're cutting Kickstarter ten, twenty percent, whatever it is, right off the bat of everything you raise. But, mm, I don't know. No. Yeah, for an existing IP, especially one that's as popular as Root, you might be right about that. But who knows? Or, or you know, Cole Worley uh, knows. Or Munchkin, or some other shit that you know. That anyway. <laughs> uh, the next Kickstarter we had a friend of mine back this, and I actually thought it kind of looked cool. This is Tiny Epic Dungeons. Is this? Part, uh, I don't quite understand, and I own a few of these because I got them cheap. The tiny epic um, family is it? Is it all by the same? I would company? assume so. I mean, it's the same logo and everything, but okay. this yeah. one looks Scott like actually minis instead of meeples. Okay, so this is Gambling Games. So this is. I thought there already was a tiny epic dungeons. Am I wrong? There, no, there There's is. There's a tiny epic everything. But so that's not co-op though. I don't think. Okay, so this is this is then tiny epic. Okay, th this is tiny epic dungeons, but this so this is one a, looks like an actual co-op board game rather than a new version of all the other tiny epic games. Okay, that's what I'm guessing. I'm looking at it yeah. on um, Board Game Geek, and yeah, there's dungeons. There is uh, uh, the zombies, defenders. They did that mech game a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. That uh, was really popular. Uh, the Dark War, uh, dinosaurs, galaxies. Okay, there's a there's a whole bunch. I think of stuff. galaxies might have been the first, and yeah. we have a copy of of dinosaurs. That's that seems correct. Oh, Quest, Tiny Epic Quest. See, I kind of thought that was their dungeon crawler, but they did a western. And anyway, so yeah, there's a bunch of these. All right, so this is a thing, and. Looking at the uh, actual Kickstarter, I mean, of course, it's, you know, it's met its goal. They wanted, again, they just wanted 15 grand, and now they're over a million dollars with uh, 16 days left to go. The cheapest you can get, you can get a uh, print and play for 10 bucks. You can get the base game for 25. Uh, it includes base game stretch goals, but not deluxe content. So for $5 more, you get the deluxe version, which uh, I'm trying to see what the difference is between all in, which is the $40. They say that is the best one. That gives you deluxe versions of Epic Dungeons, the Stretch Goals, the, the Kickstarter Limited content, and includes the Stories expansion. Okay. Jeez Louise. All right, and we just continue to go. The minis look pretty cool, but again, they all they should, you know, for what you're charging me. And, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, this might be cool, but, yeah, I have a stack of dungeon crawlers that I haven't got to the table. Although I hear, you know, once COVID is done, I'm going to try to turn that around. I've found some folks locally that are kind of interested in that stuff, but we'll see. 
Uh, the next Kickstarter I thought was just neat. This is tiny turbo cars. It reminded me of the Wreck-It Ralph races, and that's kind of what it's based on. It's based on, well, that and kind of like Toy Story with your toys come to life and race, um, because that's what the boards look like. They wanted $36,000. They got 65000 with 16 days left to go. And, uh, yeah, you can get into this for £25. And I don't so, have any pounds. Yeah. Or you can, which they only offer 25 pounds or 75 pounds, which is the big, you get everything. Uh, it's got a neat little art style and stuff like that. I look at this and go like, yeah, I don't think I'd kickstart this, but if I saw it on sale and the price was right, maybe. I'm going to give it a hard maybe. So. Hard maybe. <laughs> And uh, the last thing on Kickstarter, uh, in yeah, I stuck Radar and Kickstarter is Bucket of Bolts. What is this? So for? this is a, I've never Kickstarted anything before, and I, of course, I missed this. I missed the cutoff for it. So Bucket of Bolts is a zine. It's a solo RPG zine. So it's, I think it's basically, it's like writing prompts. And so there's, um, so Bucket of Bolts, you're kind of building the history of a spaceship, so like it, you know, the I'm guessing that there is a you uh, randomly determine what sort of spaceship it is and what the different components are to it, and then you get a writing prompt that says, okay, this is the name of your commander and what's the what's the history of this of this uh, ship, and then as you play through the game, you're kind of building the history, and so once you're done, you have a a ship that has this kind of this rich backstory of the commander at this time at this battle, and this is what happened to it. And, um, and that's why that this particular module is new because it got blown off, you know, by a missile or whatever. Um, so it is a, a, a way to build, uh, it's kind of a choose your own adventure for, specifically for a spaceship and to build the history of it. And uh, the same designer came up with a game called Artifact, which does the same thing for a, a magic item. Okay. So it's now, okay. Now I'm familiar. I remember with you that talking one. about that yeah. one. Oh, did I? Okay. Yeah. Someone, or maybe it wasn't you, but I remember hearing about that one. Yeah. I happen to see it on on Reddit. I think. So it's uh it's so it was funded on Kickstarter, and apparently I can pre-order it now. And I'm not really sure what backer kit means. Oh, it's essentially, it's just a way, it's it's a way for you to now order it. You're Joe Schmo, you didn't back it, but mm-hmm. you want to order it. And it's it's currently not available like at Miniature Market or whatever, so this is how you get it, is you, you get in through the backer kit. This is kind of like what they have left over, so. Okay. But anyway, I think I, I might pick this up, because it looks pretty cool. Yeah, it does. Sounds really cool. So. Oh. Uh, on to actual news. I had no, I didn't really know where to put this, so I just stuck it right here. I found an online version of the old 1980 D&D Labyrinth game, and uh, you just play it in Flash, and yeah, you'll have like noises and stuff. I don't know. I can't remember how to play it. I actually owned this at one point, I think in the 90s, and uh, it'll just be linked in the show notes. I mean, it's it's supposed to be the game. Uh, I don't know how much the thing is worth nowadays, but it seems like I got a little bit of change for it when I sold my copy years ago. But eh, 
I just remember it I'm, had. I'm really, going to eBay. It had really crappy um, uh, metal miniatures for it. It had like three of those and some just little plastic things. And essentially, it was sort of a hex crawl. Only it wasn't hexes; it was squares. You just kind of went around and you pressed the button, and that told you like what happened, you know, with your guy there. If you had to fight something, or you know, this, that, and the other. So, I don't mm-hmm. know. so uh, what are they going for, Roy? Just out of curiosity. Well, um, there's a uh, always one, soul. buy it now for ninety bucks. Yeah, I'm trying to get to the tab that says uh, completed. Items. Yeah, it seems like I got mine. Mine was complete, and I got with the box, and I got over I got 100, so, 150 bucks. About 100 bucks. Okay. 100 bucks, 95. Um, yeah, they've gone for, going for about $100. Okay. Well, there you go. Well, I'm glad I still made money on mine. <laughs> uh, the next thing we had was there is a second edition of LaSalle, which comes from, uh, what is his name? San Mustafa. Mufasa, whatever how you say it. I'll just mispronounce it every time. Um, this is, man, I really get the scales confused as to like which one this is. And I, but LaSalle is something I've owned. Uh, I currently own the first edition. So uh, this is the second edition. So I'm going to have to look and see what is, what has changed. But I just remember um, this. This was the scale I wanted to do for um, Napoleonics. I felt like it was way more manageable than some of the other large rule sets. So, and uh, Sam is highly recommended in Napoleonic game sets. So there you go. Uh, the next thing I had, uh, I took advantage of this offer, and this will be linked in the show notes. Warlord Games was giving you a free copy of the SPQR revised edition rule book with the purchase of just a single box of miniatures so i got some i ordered some macedonians i've never done them before i like pikes and uh there you go i'm sure you'll get the small crappy softback rule book but still it was free i was going to buy the rule book anyway so this was a pretty good deal plus i had some of those um warlord coins or whatever which saved me Basically, the discount saved me shipping, so thought it was neat. And, of course, SPQR, in its revised edition, a, mo- a year after releasing the the uh, the original rule edition was because it was such just utter garbage when it came out. It seemed to be like it had never been playtested before. And uh, they spent a year redoing the rules and put it right back out. So I have hope this time. Uh, the next thing we had is, did you know there is, and I'm surprised this hasn't happened yet, there is a Kickstarter alternative coming. I mean, I know there's stuff like GoFundMe and Indiegogo and stuff like that, but this company called, um, GameFound, is that right? Is that the one? It's a new Kickstarter. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, called which we'll call GameFound. It's they are aiming straight at Kickstarter, so I'm going to be very yeah. curious to see. I think how it's funny. It's it's their announcement is that this Skyrim game is coming out, and the news is that it's not going to be on Kickstarter because that's mm-hmm. breaking news. But then like, oh, it is still going to be crowdfunded though. Right. 
from Modifius, which, why are you guys crowdfunding <laughs> something? You know, you, yeah. See, okay. They just, they heard you talking about how much you hate Kickstarter, so they're yeah. like, fine, Adam, we're going to go, look, we're going to okay. do game Yeah, that's true. Stuff. They're like, we're going to call that little shit on this. We're going to, it's not, <laughs> it's not on Kickstarter, is it? Aha. And, uh, I mean, honestly, you know, that we have no one else to blame but ourselves, you know, we as the consumers, for allowing this to happen. What should have happened the very first time a big company showed up on Kickstarter is we shouldn't have bought it. And they would have learned that lesson, but we like shiny things, and we have no patience, and so that's what we do, is we just, we buy it no matter what they see, you know, no matter what it is. So anyway, I don't know if Skyrim's the super hot property right now, but whatever. Uh, this is coming, uh, yet another Skyrim board game. This is Elder Scrolls V Skyrim, the board game. Is coming on here, and uh, it's done by the same board game developer that did uh, Tainted Grail, Fall of Avalon, that's Awakened Realms. And boy, I don't know if it's that game isn't good or what, but I see a whole lot, and this is just anecdotally, I see a whole lot of Tainted Grail Kickstarter pledges for sale nowadays. And so, I don't know. I don't know if people just got it, didn't like it, or decided they shouldn't have spent $500 or whatever it was on the all-in thing. And yeah, it's I see a lot of them for sale. Anyway, they are also going to do a copy of Robinson Crusoe. I, a reissue of that from Portal Games. I'm not familiar with that one. It's designed by... Ignace. Robinson Crusoe? Yeah, I've, I've seen the game. I've never played it. It's designed by Ignacy Drizzlerigan. From, that did uh, Imperial Settle, Settlers and Detective, a modern crime board game, and first published in 2012. So they're going to do another version of that. And three other campaigns, Domain of Noctis, Gaijin, an adventure board game set in cyberpunk Japan, and Monster Invasion, a collection of four titles from Peterson Games, creators of Cthulhu Wars. No launch date is available for those campaigns. So I don't know. Eh, I just don't like this whole pre-ordering thing, but no one asked me. The next thing we had, this was actually really big news this past week. And Magic the Gathering, I guess Witches of the Coast, finally like looked over at, you know, all the licensing that was going on with other companies and decided to do a 40k card crossover set. And apparently they're going to do multiples of these. They're going to do a Middle Earth one. And uh, that's the only other one I see listed. I've talked to a lot of Magic retailers and uh, players this week. And the consensus for them is like, how are you going to suddenly tell your audience that's buying your stuff that there is another game over there that's just as expensive, if not more expensive, than your game. Isn't that going to possibly hurt your, you know, your uh, bottom line? I don't know. I do know that, like, uh, Games Workshop will li has licensed 40K to everything. It seems like every other week there's a shitty video game that comes out, either on your phone or on Steam. And they're, most of them are garbage, by and large. But this 40K Munchkin. Yes, there, that, that was the, <laughs> another one, Richard's favorite game. And, um, yeah, and so, I mean, this will do money. 
this this will people i mean especially if it you if it uses magic same mechanic and i'm just basically just playing reskinned magic yeah it's it's gonna make money so it's still just a little weird because if you ask me the very first thing they should have done instead of any other uh whatever is they why not do a D card game why not do D D? With that magic, you know, reskinned and that seems like that would be just easy money. I don't know. Uh, back during the day, kids, when the whole CCGs were starting out, when literally they were—if you had a fantasy novel, they would license it. People were beating your door down, like, "Hey, Roy, you wrote the Elvis trilogy. Please sign here. Here's fifty grand. We want your card game rights." Everybody had it, and well. Whoever, TSR at the time was like, well, hey, you know, we invented elves and shit, so let's do this. And <laughs> we invented elves. Uh, so they came out with Spellfire. And what was really neat with it was they used all, they had the entire uh, D&D uh, artwork. That's all they did. They didn't have to, like, Magic was constantly having to pay artists for each new card and stuff. They just dug in their archives and just and just printed them. And uh, I'm honestly surprised that they didn't end up winning, quote unquote, the uh, the the CCG wars, and and or at least surviving, because those cards were beautiful. I mean, they were so beautiful. I've thought about just collecting them over the years because you can get them relatively cheap, because they have all that you know, Greg Heidelbrandt, you know, all these famous artists. All that artwork is there on those cards, and they just look gorgeous. I guess the game must must have been garbage. I don't know. So that's the only thing I can think of. So, speaking of, the next thing we had is Wizards of the Coast makes more money than Hasbro's toy business. You know, first of all, I don't know if I believe that. I have, I've, <laughs> I've never believed that. You know, I just, I don't. I don't see, I mean, I know Magic the Gathering and D&D are the biggest things ever in tabletop gaming. And, you know, and card gaming. I know they are. There is no disputing that. However, there's got to be more people buying My Little Pony stuff than buying Magic cards. There's just got to. There's way more little kids, you know, older dudes or little girls buying My Little well, Pony. I mean, if you believe the numbers they printed here, it's it's not like it's even close. I mean, 816 million to 90 million. I just don't know. I just I don't know where they get those numbers from. Yeah, so that that may be the case. And I I get where you're going with that, but how much does the average My Little Pony product cost compared to a a D and D book? I mean, you know, uh, what's what's a My Little Pony cost? 10, 15 bucks at Walmart, and a D&D book is going to cost 30. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It could be. So Magic the Gathering, I mean, seems like the second-hand market is where the money is on those. I, I don't know what the regular cards even cost. That is true, but, you know, Wizards supposedly doesn't make any money on the uh, second-hand market. Yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> so the the market for, for Watsi, to me, is more people with disposable income, grown-ups. Whereas, yeah. the, you know, the Hasbro toys... I guess it's still your this uh, grownups are buying the stuff, but it's like here, kid, here's a, a Rainbow Dash doll. So, 
I don't know. I, I, I would say that the, the, the Watsi market is more people with disposable income. So that's you're going to spend more at it, I suppose. Maybe. Um, and I see it does talk about them moving Avalon Hill uh, to Wizards of the Coast. So yeah, we'll see. Okay, they should they should uh, license uh, Advanced Squad Leader for a card game. We could call it Not Upfront and uh, have some fun. Yeah, we could do that. Seems like so that, would, get, that would be a no brainer. You're gonna have uh, ASL branded Magic cards. That's what it should be. Is they should right. they should do ASL because people would buy it, especially don't do it as a, a CCG. Don't do it as an LCG. Yeah, that people absolutely buy it. And, uh, yeah. I don't know. Uh, is, yeah, anything else fascinating in this? I don't know. Uh, they talk about the decline in Pokemon, and, mm, yeah, but, okay. I don't know. I was just very surprised. Very, very surprised. And that leads us uh, into the Compendium of Equestria is now available for your uh, Tales of Equestria game. They have this nice compendium from River Horse that adds rules, characters, and play options into uh, your game. So, I had so fun. this would be this would go into the Watsy bucket, not yes. the Hasbro bucket. Yeah, I think so. Even though it's My Little Pony, right? Hmm. I don't know. It's really, really weird. I don't know. I was looking at that box shelf on my set, around the box set on my shelf uh, this morning, thinking about. The, the one game that I played with my daughter and friends that you know, it sure would be nice once uh, once COVID's done to kind of get her immersed in that again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I really enjoyed playing that um, that system at a free RPG day once. It was it was mm-hmm. a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with it. You know, mm-hmm. do, just doing different things and yeah, just being as ridiculous as we could because we were ponies <laughs> running around. You know. And, it, you know, you'd have guys that are like, well, can I do this? And like, no, that's not in this game. <laughs> can I do that? No, 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 no. There's none of that in this game. You're, yeah. Yeah. You're not casting magic missiles. Stop asking. All right. <laughs> uh, the next thing we had, you know, this is where you, you come to a chance of gaming. Let's face it, just for industry gossip. And here you go. Um, originally, I had this Kickstarter listed uh, to talk about on this this show. It's called uh, Perfect RPG, and it's from Luke Crane, you know, the guy who did uh, Burning, Burning Wheel. Wheel. Yep. And uh, I actually, which is which is maybe the greatest RPG that no one plays. Yeah, I mean, I actually read a good review of it that that talked about like, my God, the amount of rules in here for like really. Yeah, is, I mean, does it's, this need to be there's a, rule? a reason. There's a reason no one plays it, but it's almost like a. I look at Burning Wheel almost like, you know how those fashion shows, people make fun of like the ridiculous outfits that the, the models wear, but those aren't intended to be actual clothes. Those are intended to be an idea of what clothing should be, and that's kind of how I look at our, at Burning Wheel. You know what? That is a damn good analogy for that. Yes, I think that, yeah, works perfectly. So, But okay. this, yeah. I have no idea what the hell this is. Okay, well, hold on. <laughs> hold on. We'll get here. All right, so... I originally had this on here. This is Perfect RPG. It's it's for a it was for a zine. They just wanted six grand, and yeah, and it's literally a Kickstarter called Perfect RPG. And uh, they canceled it at the eleven point eleven thousand three hundred ninety eight dollar amount. And uh, we'll get to why in just a second. I originally had this on here just because the 
the purchasing options were funny. Like, your first one is $14 allows you to get a copy of the perfect RPG zine without molecules. So, uh, it's you, that means you get a PDF. Uh, the second one was you get a, a copy for $15. And the third one was... $25, it, it was listed as the perfect RPG zine, but more money. <laughs> that that was it. it and, you know, and the, he kept doing that. You know, it's $42. It's the zine, but you just pay more. That was the only difference. And so I just thought that was kind of cute. You know, I love, you know, like it when people poke fun at themselves or whatever. He wasn't hurting anybody. This is great. You know, this is just funny. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about Luke Crane, we'll talk about Burning Wheel, and yeah, I actually bought my copies of Burning Wheel from him personally at Gen Con and didn't think to get him to sign them. Mm. I, I can't tell you how much I've been annoyed at that. Uh, my, that was years ago, and I'm still mad. I'm still salty about it. So apparently this whole thing, uh, this the perfect RPG zine, you got multiple artists and authors contributing to this and um they you know they talk about the different artists they talk about the people contributing well at some point somebody realized that adam coble was involved in this and decided to speak out about it and if you i don't know if you remember or not you probably tried to forget Adam Coble, uh, he was actually the author of something that was pretty big, but he had one of the bigger, I don't know, of course not the biggest, that's Critical Role, but one of the bigger, he was, I don't know if he was top five, but top ten of actual play, podcasts, live streams, and whatever. So when you said he was the author of something, you're talking about oh, Dungeon, Dungeon World. World? That's it. Yeah. Oh, yes. okay. This was about the, uh, there was kind of a weird sexual assault that well, happened in the game. yeah, in in his in the sh in the show he's doing this actual play thing you know it's part of this podcast this twitch stream all this stuff he's running it and just in the middle of it the the four his four characters had no idea this was coming he threw there was this whole sexual assault of of a character in there mm -hmm. and this caused just a complete and utter shit show and of course I'll have the polygon article linked in the uh uh, the show notes, yeah. and so yeah. Far Verona. <clears throat> yeah, they found out he was involved in this, and people spoke out, and Luke just decided. I guess instead of um, instead of like going, oh, I'm sorry, you're right, Adam, you may go now. Uh, he was just like, okay, well, I'm just not going to do it. So, uh, you know, I don't know what to think about that. If you remember correctly, and uh, boy, we're going to get to that in just a second. Um, Zach Sabbath. Uh, basically, they basically forced the guy that did um, Lamentations of the Flame Princess mm -hmm. to distance himself from Zack Sabbath. And he came out, he was like, okay, I will do that. I will distance myself from him because of these allegations of sexual assault and all this stuff. And, however, and this is what got James Raggy, the guy who does um, Lamentations of the Flame Princess, Flame Flame Princess, uh, this is what got him into trouble, was he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll distance him. However, I believe that blah, 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 and just kind of gave this sort of support thing, whatever, and yeah, it just turned into a complete shit show. 
And uh, in fact, I did not include it in this uh, podcast, but I may stick it in the share notes. He went on, <coughs> he went on YouTube and did this like 20 minute rant about his financial problems and stuff he's having. It's like he's sorry, but he's not sorry about things he's done in the past, and he would really need your help to help uh, Lamentations of the Flame Princess operate in the black. So, anyway. So, yeah. So, I have no idea what's going to come with this. But, yeah, I had this to talk about in this show about a day or so ago, just because the funding was funny, and that got pulled this morning. He canceled it this morning. So, Mm -hmm. just interesting. So... I don't know. It, when when people act poorly, I think that we need to shame them and correct them to to be better. But at one point, at what point do do we say, okay, this person has had enough? They've been shamed. Their 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 uh, behavior has been corrected. And then at one point, do or do we entitle or do we let these people kind of back in? You know, uh, that is a very good point. And you actually see it uh, a good bit, like, in popular culture. All right. Do you remember Michael Richards from uh, Seinfeld? Yep. Man, he blew up his career big time in that one thing. And he was gone, just disappeared for years. And Mm -hmm. he's slowly kind of coming back a little bit. And, you know, and nobody's saying anything. And, of course, a lot of people argue that, you know, well, it it depends. Are you a white male? Maybe, you know, you can come back quicker than, say, somebody who was female and whatever. So, I don't know. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, I mean, you're right. At at some point, it should be like, if they're like, hey, you know, I made a mistake. Uh, This is bad. Please forgive me. And, you know, you should let them back in. Or, Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, honestly, it depends on what they did. You know, if they assaulted someone, maybe they should never come back. You know, so with with Adam Coble, he did this thing on this, uh, you know, on this live stream show where he kind of acted and he acted poorly. But then he apologized for it. So I I don't know. It's at some point you got to say, okay, you know, I guess who's the arbiter of when somebody has learned their lesson and when do you, um, when do you let them back into life? Yeah. That is a very good point. It's like, I don't know. I think it's, and of course there's always going to be people that never want you to come back. That will Mm -hmm. never ever, you know, what this guy did was terrible. He can't ever come back. So, and those people are going to crow and say, and you know, the, anything that he's connected with, they're going to get canceled on Kickstarter. So uh, maybe what should have happened here would be to just ignore what people are saying and then just see how well it sells, you know, Mm -hmm. vote with Mm -hmm. your dollars. Like if you don't want him to be on here, don't buy it. And uh, I don't know. I I don't know because, yeah, I mean, what he did was pretty crappy, but I mean – he didn't physically assault someone. I don't know. There's been a lot. It seems like there's been people in the industry that have done a lot worse, and they got accepted back in. I don't know. But yeah. uh, this I, this is just kind of weird that it's like, okay, you know, this guy did this, that, and, he, and now he's canceled apparently forever. 
because of this. Although it seems like that was only a year and a half ago. Maybe you got to stay gone like five years or something to to get to get you know to where people forget. I guess change your name, find Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Okay. or, or okay. yeah, you could do that. You could certainly do that, and maybe that goes a long way if you are you know you you open up a women's shelter and you know you work at it for years and you know all this stuff. I don't know. So it's yeah. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So it leads perfectly into our next thing, and this is a Reddit thread in, in our Gen Con for you to peruse. Um, Zach Smith, um, the former Zach Sabbath, um, is suing Gen Con. And uh, let's see, he actually names some people in there for defamation and def... No, this is the guy that during Gen Con, but at a, like a, a bar or something... Outside of Gen Con, had some nope. sort of altercation. D- the different, different one. Okay. Yeah, uh, yeah, you're thinking yeah, yeah. Of Man, I need a cheat Hamblin. sheet. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's it's hard to keep up on your like weird <laughs> weird people. Let's see, this one is. Let's see, Zach. Yeah, so I commented on this thread. So if you look at the um, uh, the return the the response from Zenny Boy, the gist of this is that he's suing Gen Con for defamation, emotional and business damages. So, okay. If you remember this one, this this thing, uh, this is where this is the the gentleman who had done. He's done a lot of D and D work. I'll link his Wikipedia in the uh, the show notes. Um, he got caught up in the Me Too movement. Um, he got uh, he, allegations of abuse and rape by several several women, and uh, which caused. Now, he had done actual work on D&D, and this caused Wizards of the Coast to remove his name and references from print and digital editions of D&D 5th edition. And um, this is the one where somebody noticed that he, you know, when all this stuff was going on, that he was uh, still a guest at Gen Con, which caused them to drop him as a guest and ban him from it. And um, he filed a defamation lawsuit against, um, I think the the person goes by the name of Mandy Morbid. Um, I don't I don't know. Yeah, I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know what she does or, or whatever. But she worked in the industry somehow. But he had done. I know from um, Lamentations of the Flame Princess. He did a red a red and pleasant land, Death Frost Doom, Maze of the Blue Medusa, and Frostbitten and Mutilated. He had done those. Um, he's won some innies or just different awards and stuff. And yeah, so I mean, he was kind of a you know big fish, small pond maybe. And uh, so now apparently he's gonna sue Gen Con for defamation. So there you go. I know, I have no idea how his other uh, thing, his other lawsuit against Mandy Morbid went, but yeah, this is said. Um, it talks about his history. He was hired by different whatever. He said he generates a substantial portion of his income from RPG consulting, development, and production. I want to do RPG consulting. I mean, I could at least tell you, like, this is good, this is bad. You know, not that I can fix it in any way or tell you what to do, but I can just tell you if it's good or bad. Yeah. Anyway. And, uh, yeah, it said on February 10th, 2019, during the Zenith of the Me Too, hashtag MeToo movement, Mr. Smith's estranged wife 
published a does link. It, does that mean that the Me Too movement's on its way down? I, I guess at the zenith, that's when it happened. So is it, I guess it's, that was two years ago. It's not happening now, I guess. I don't know. Uh, his estranged wife published a lengthy Facebook post. And it seems, yeah, I remember this, you know, of all the different stuff. And yeah, he got dropped. And so, yeah, it says they falsely allege that abuser committed abuse, abused many people, harasses, committed harassment is a menace, a menace to, a menace who puts the public at risk, an individual to be feared, has committed a criminal offense. Uh, they attack his ethics and professionalism and credibility and integrity. So there you go. Um, and we'll have this link, the, the Reddit thread in the show notes, the, uh, like the, um, thread is interesting to read, you know, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, I don't know. It just seems like, I don't know why you want to do this. I guess it's like, well, we can't do can't do anything else and yeah so i'm just gonna sue him so there you go somebody mentions um he's an absolute piece of human garbage a turd fetish with a bad haircut and a miserably pathetic excuse for a porn actor with a singular okay impressive penis so okay well that's what what that guy says (laughs) so uh yeah it's just weird you're just reading along with it oh wait okay i see this there all right (laughs) So there you go. I mean, come Adam on. does read anything that's in front of him. In yeah, the I am. So. Like, oh wait, hold on. <laughs> I'm a dumbass. <laughs> San Diego. Okay. Uh, and I guess um, no, it's not the last thing. We've got a couple more things, but one of the probably the biggest news since the last we were on the air is, you know, D and D talked about I think really uh, doing three new books this year three new settings this year and i think one of them turned out to be that uh that mystery one they did uh whatever that was and the the big one was uh this past week where they announced ravenloft so what do you guys know about ravenloft vampire Um, stuff yeah never played it but that's about all i know from it i mean i you know growing up i always thought it was like super super duper neat and, you know, I wasn't playing role-playing games, but all those D&D books I was reading, you know, it, and I highly recommend the uh, the Dragonlance books. You know, they're fantastic. And um, the Ravenloft novels were really, really cool, too, because it has, I mean, basically, I don't know the specifics of the location. So I will say it may be on a different plane or some, you know, some fantasy shit. I don't know. Whatever that is. Um, anyway, there exists this area, uh, this nation, this country, whatever, of Ravenloft. And it's ran by a vampire called Strahd. And so you can basically are role-playing in that area. And, uh, yeah, it's, it, to me, it was like, you know, kind of the, the horror based, you know, role playing. And at least for, in my experience, I did not see any other horror based RPGs on the shelf in small town Mississippi. So I was really fascinated by this because I, I love werewolves and they had werewolves as a, uh, a class in this. And I thought that was neat. So, yeah. Although I was a little confused because I know they did Curse of Strahd, 
I own that D and D book like years ago. So I don't know like what this is. What's the difference? I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know. Well, I think this is more of a setting book rather than an adventure. Okay, so that was like a campaign sort of thing, and this yep. gives you the entire setting. Okay, yep. that makes sense. That makes sense. And I think this is more not just a setting, but also like a horror adventure book type thing, or more of a how to do horror adventures. Okay, that's the way I gather. Though that's the way I read it. I'll definitely, I'll definitely get it for my kid when it comes out, and for me personally, I'll wait till it goes on sale because I'm here to tell you. Every single D and D book drops to fifty percent off or less on Amazon. Every one of them. Yeah. Eventually. I'm waiting for that big Temple of Elemental Evil book to come out later this year. That'll oh, be the next one I buy. I forgot about that one because that was like what eight hundred pages. Yeah, it's the the big one from that that company that republishes the classic stuff. Yeah. Uh my question with the new Ravenloft source book, uh, I thought this was kind of, a, and I think this was a controversial decision at the time. But for whatever reason, um, the powers that be at, I'm assuming, TSR at the time, decided to bring a character from the Dragonlance novels called Lord Soth over to Ravenloft. And so he's this evil knight called the Knight of the Black Rose, and he's this super powerful being and, you know, all this. And I'll have this linked in the show notes so you can read all his backstory but they dropped him over there in Ravenloft, which pissed off, you know, not Dracula. And so that kind of became a, this big power struggle over there because he's apparently just as powerful as not Dracula. And, um, yeah, it wasn't Stride. I like not Dracula better. So, I mean, come on, Dracula's hmm. public domain. They could have used that. And, uh, yeah, so they fought and, you know, whatever over there. And there you go. I was just... I'm curious to see if they bring him over there. I would love to see um, the Dragonlance setting redone for 5th edition. Seems like the last time it was done was 4th. But, I don't know. Anyway, so here we are at the end of the show, and the last thing I have is the Legend of the Five Rings LCG came to an end. I tried my damnedest to get, off, to get it off the uh, ground here locally because I love the setting. You know, and playing an LCG is fun. You know, it's way cheaper than a CCG. But, um, yeah, I couldn't get it off the ground. I highly recommend Legend of the Five Rings. The, I mean, at the very least, the, the RPG. Go and just read about this world that's created and just the different clans and whatnot. I've just always found them fascinating. <coughs> so you can hit up Drive Through RPG or The Trove, wherever you want to go, and um, get stuff for it. So. But I guess I'm not surprised, and now I'm going to have to wait and see who will end up with this IP. Because it was a really big deal that um, the people that had L um, L5R at the time was the people that do Smash Up, whatever company that was. And they Oh, that little, like, kids board game kind of thing? Yeah, with yeah. The... Yeah, okay. It was like their biggest property, and they ended up selling it to Fantasy Flight Games in 2015. That was a really big deal. And, I didn't know yeah. that. So, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. So, there you go. All right. So, I guess that brings us to the end here. And, uh, yeah. So, there you go. So, I guess we'll say good night ish. Yeah. Good, good afternoon. Night. We're recording afternoon. early today. Mm -hmm. But if you're listening at nighttime, good night. Yeah. But if you're listening to us as you drive to work in the morning, don't go to sleep. Yeah. Good morrow then.
let me drift you off to sleep. <laughs> the Good dulcet night, tones of Roy. Whoa.